Happy looking to Jared Stearns, who makes the catch and scores. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in, everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon. Appreciate everybody who is in the chat right now, who is tuning in live for this very, very special edition of Chasing the Natty. This is the CFF Rankings Summit, and joining me today, I have not one, not two, but three, three CFF analysts, all of us employed here at Campus of Canton, and we are going to dive deep into some of these rankings for you guys today. So, joining me today, again, I got three awesome guys with me. I got Brandon Sanders, I got Nate Marquise, and I got Chris Moxley. So, we'll go one by one, and guys, I want you to just let everybody know what you're working on, and yeah, just uh, just some fun facts about yourself. I don't know. We'll do like old school. <laughs> uh, Brandon, we'll start with you, man. Sure. Um, I'm Brandon T. Sanders. You can find me at CFF University. Of course, I'm the host of the Future Freshman Podcast as well as the CFFU Podcast. Uh, you can find the Future Freshman Podcast going every Friday morning. Uh, it hits bright and early, 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So when you're waking up, getting ready for work or doing whatever you're doing in the morning time, be sure to give it a listen. Uh, we just jumped on Amazon Music. So now we're on all major platforms. So shout out to uh, us finally getting everywhere. Uh, you'll also be able to find some, you know, rankings that we're talking about today and some future articles there on the Campus Scan website. So that's me in a nutshell. And uh, I do not like long walks on the beach because I live next to it all the time. All right. <laughs> uh, ladies, if you're listening, Brandon, not, not a beach walker fan. All right, let's, we'll go, let's go hiking. We'll go right to left. Nate, you, you're up next, sir. Yeah, I, uh, well, I'm really just trying to survive with a two-year-old. Uh, that's what my life consists of right now. But <laughs> Um, no, as far as what I've been working on, uh, really just taking a look at some of the, uh, the spring, uh, practice reports, we've got some spring games that have been happening already. So more to come. So keeping my eye on that, cause I'm putting together my, uh, my follow-up to my pre-spring stock up, stock down reports, uh, that I posted, uh, uh, I don't know, a month or so back and, uh, coming out with the post spring version of that. So, um, we'll probably be looking to that somewhere around may be my guess. So, bring, uh, um, you know, you can follow me on Twitter and see if Nate uh, posts a lot of my uh, best ball drafts, you know, just kind of detailing, uh, you know, some of the selections that I've made on that just to give people some feedback on on where guys are going and, and what they can expect coming up in their own drafts. Absolutely. Uh, Nate, do you like long walks on the beach? Oh, dude, love them. I don't live on the beach. I'm, I'm landlocked here in Kansas <laughs> City. So uh, anytime I'm on the beach, I'm enjoying it, man. Absolutely. All right. Last and certainly not least, we got Mr. Chris Moxley. Chris, what are you up to, sir? Uh, feels like a little bit of everything. Paying attention to spring, getting, uh, you know, we announced that we're going to be doing a CFF guide the next couple months. So getting, um, you know, a lot of the that stuff taken together, put together with uh, members of the team. So I trying to do as much as possible in what is what feels like a very short amount of time, but we got a lot going on at, at the website, just in the college fantasy space and the camp scan space in general. So it has been a hectic last couple of weeks for us. And, you know, uh, y'all here and everybody at the site has been um, working really hard to get 
this thing off the ground that you you've seen this week and that you'll see moving forward, just iteratively building. So just putting, just putting stuff together so that we can, uh, we can build the site up, man. It's been fun. Yeah. And uh, like you said, Chris, Campus Canton has been releasing a ton of ton of new content recently. Uh, the new website has been updated. If y'all haven't checked that out already, I don't know why you wouldn't have already, but if you haven't already, please go and do it. So many new things on there. There's a whole CFF page there now for us. We'll be uploading articles. Again, Nate is doing awesome work there. I personally will be getting a transfer report, transfer portal report going up there pretty soon. But it's like every time I'm ready to publish it, somebody new hops in and I'm like, all right, I got to write about them. Uh, and then also this past week's been busy. So, um, so I got that coming up as well. Uh, we got CFF rankings there. That's what we're going to be talking about here. If you want to get full access to our rankings, all it is is all you need is that walk-on tier, the $2.99 a month or $29.99 a year. Very base um, or the very basic tier. Um, that's all you need in order to see our rankings. I believe currently we have 60 quarterbacks, 72 running backs, 72 wide receivers, and 36 tight ends ranked each. So please go and check all of that out. Before we really kind of dive into all of this, let me ask each of you, um, you guys can kind of buzz in here real quick. We're going to go ahead and start talking about these quarterbacks. But before we really look at these top 12 rankings, does anybody just have a kind of a feel of how they feel about the quarterback class this year for CFF 2022? Um, I'll start and just say that... Uh... It seems, uh, I mean, there's some variations, but it seems like for the most part, the top five or six are very closely related. So you're going to have like those top tiers on there that really doesn't uh, trend away. It's when you get into like, let's say 12 through 20 something is where we all kind of differ a little bit more. But I would say like overall, you have your consistent like top 10 quarterbacks for the most part, regardless of how you rank them. I think they're kind of like, um, you know, stock of the mill. Like these are the guys that are the go-tos this year for sure. I think that's absolutely fair. Nate, how are you feeling, sir? You know, I was, I was looking at some of the rankings and, and some of the best balls that I've done. And what I found interesting this year, that's so different from last year. Last year, I felt like it was um, you either took your shots really early on that, that tier one quarterback, and then you could wait till later on. There really wasn't um, kind of in that round four to eight range. It was kind of like a no man's land. And I actually feel the opposite about that this year. I love some of the guys that are in that tier two, tier three range oh, yeah. that I think could definitely produce um, like a QB one uh, type quality that you could get, um, you know, in that round four to eight range. I, I also find it super interesting just how many um, what I would call elite QB competitions that are unsettled are still out there. I mean, we've got three to four between SMU TCU, Texas Tech, um, North Carolina is not far behind that group. So, uh, you know, those are unsettled positions that um, are obviously going to impact our rankings significantly on down the road. I, yeah, I'm, you're, you're 100% right. I'm also going to throw Western Kentucky in there because they're going to try to recreate that offense that they had last year. Um, so I would say that's a, definitely another one. And Austin Reed transferring there from West Florida definitely kind of threw a Threw a wrench into that whole thing. A lot of people were thinking Dougie. I was thinking Darius Oceans maybe make a, makes a run in it. But Reed, to me, seems like the perfect guy for that offense. But anyway, Chris, how are you feeling about the quarterback class this year? I like it. I, I mostly agree with what Nate was saying. Like, we have that tier that is, like, really interesting that I think any of those guys could finish top three. Mm -hmm. And they're going, like, that's a QB eight to 
maybe 15. I think there's a lot of interesting players in that range. I think it's just deep overall. I think the top 24 is, I don't know if it's deeper than the last couple of years, but it feels like there's a lot more potential that you can make a case for guys finishing at that QB one spot than maybe you could previously. And I think that a lot of that is kind of the way that offenses are trending uh, a lot more spread, a lot more players from that Baylor or coaches from that Baylor, Texas tech tree are getting jobs uh, either as offensive coordinators or as head coaches. So as that continually happens, you're seeing a lot more pass heavy approaches, which is just making the position more deep as you get to like tier two, tier three of those, those quarterback ranks. I pretty much agree with all three of y'all where I think quarterback is definitely the one that I like grabbing one of the top tier guys like within the first three rounds, but I'm perfectly happy to wait after I get that. I'm perfectly happy to wait until much later in the draft to even really start thinking about my second and third quarterbacks because I feel really good about them. Like I did a mock the other week where I had like, I, I, got, I grabbed Quinn Ewers in the fourth round because I think my, I think I, I was going for Jordan Mims, but then he got sniped for me and I wanted to just go ahead and grab a quarterback. Um, but then I grabbed Aiden O'Connell and Clayton Toon, which to me are two guys that are roughly kind of in the same tier for me, uh, kind of later in the draft. And I felt very, very comfortable grabbing those guys, uh, much later in that draft. So any final thoughts on this before we really start diving into these top 12? I'm ready. All right. Let's get into this top 12 again. You got it all on the screen here. You got... Uh, our ECR ranking, which is just the numerical ranking based off of the average ranking, which comes from an average of all four of our rankings. Then you got the player, the school, and then you have our individual rankings kind of broken down from there. Going from number one to number 12, number one overall with an average ranking of 1.2 is CJ Stroud, quarterback out of Ohio State. Uh, quarterback number two is Bryce Young out of Alabama. Quarterback number three Caleb Williams out of USC. Quarterback four, Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Quarterback five, Sam Hartman out of Wake Forest. Quarterback six, Malik Cunningham out of Louisville. Quarterback seven, Dylan Gabriel out of Oklahoma. Quarterback eight, Quinn Ewers out of Texas. Quarterback nine, Will Rogers out of Mississippi State. Quarterback 10, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Quarterback 11, Cameron Ward at Washington State. Quarterback, and to, to round things out, quarterback 12, Grayson McCall out of Coastal Carolina. So, Nate, I'm going to start with you here. What kind of sticks out to you about this top 12 group right here? Well, one thing that I noticed as I was looking through it is um, half of this top 12 is actually transfers. They didn't start at the program they're at which is kind of crazy. That's where we're at with college football today is that half of the top 12 quarterbacks in fantasy football have moved from a different program, um, which kind of tells you one thing as far as dynasty is concerned. Don't give up on some of these um, high potential players that are stuck behind other guys. And, um, you know, as far as your supplemental drafts, you can get guys like Cameron Ward uh, joining in, you know, in a supplemental draft. That's, you know, I mean, those are, those are important draft picks, but um, as far as overall with the, with, with the group here, um, fascinating, I think it was, we'll, we'll get into this later, but I, I found it fascinating how, um, Malik Cunningham had kind of dropped in the, um, composite rankings here from probably where we all viewed him a couple months ago. I know uh, that has a lot to do with where Jared's probably getting ranked, but, um, but yeah, I found that, I found that pretty <laughs> fascinating. 
Um, Chris, we'll go with you next. Anything kind of stick out about these rankings that you find fascinating? Um, more pocket passers than I think you would traditionally expect. So a lot, a good chunk of these guys are generally guys who are going to get the majority of the points with their, uh, their arm rather than their legs. And a lot of that goes to what I'm saying, what I was saying earlier, that there's a big, a fairly dramatic shift in college football in terms of like pass rate. And so you're seeing a lot of guys who maybe wouldn't be up there previously go to offenses. Like I think someone, someone like Jackson Dark's a good example of this, right? Like I don't think he's top 12 if we have him at USC still and he's the starter. Maybe he is. I, I think it's kind of borderline, but now he's with Lane Kiffin who has a higher neutral game pass rate than Lincoln Riley has ever had. And I think that's a really interesting landing spot. So you're seeing guys who I don't like, I don't think you're going to get more than 20 rushing yards a game from Jackson Dart. If that, and he's a guy who's going to end up or basically our, he's ECR 10 for us. So Cameron Ward's the same way. Um, Sam Hartman is mostly the same way. He's a little bit of rushing ability. Um, Bryce Young doesn't run at all, even though he can. So just a lot of really interesting stories to tell in terms of, you know, we don't have that many, like I Malik Cunningham maybe is the heaviest C- rusher. CJ Stroud doesn't even run that much. No, I mean, he doesn't. He's number one overall. No. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, uh, you really have two, I think on here that are actual rushers. I thought one it was in- interesting too. How, yeah. how like we've got what, uh, let's see here. Yours, Dart, Cameron Ward. These are three guys that literally haven't done anything. Like they, they have proven no. basically nothing. We saw a glimpse of what Jackson Dart could be, but um, just for a game or two, we, we got three guys, 25% of this top 12 is guys that, you know, we're just, we're just projecting more than anything. I think that has a lot to do with what Bailey Zappi did last year, where a lot of people like saw Bailey Zappi for the most part, like, Oh, he hasn't proven any, anything at the FBS level turned out just didn't matter. If, if you believed in him, it paid off for you big, um, in a big way. So I think a lot of people maybe are willing to take a little bit more risks this year in terms of the guys that we're projecting, guys like Quinn Ewers, guys like Caleb Williams as a full-time starter for USC, guys like Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, who really didn't show that much at USC last year. Another thing, uh, Chris and Nate, I'll bring two of your points in here. Chris, you're talking about how many pocket passers are in here, and then Nate, you're, you were talking earlier about how some of these quarterback positions haven't even been settled yet. When Texas Tech names their starter, they're probably going to hop into this top 12 too. Western Kentucky, I prob- I don't know about you guys, but I might have them at least close to the top 12 because I just know that kind of system is going to produce even though they're heavy passers. I don't know, Brandon, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I was actually going to bring up, like, I'm very interested to see once, uh, one, I love the representation of the ACC and the Sun Belt. I love, you know, offensive happy teams of course we kind of know where that's leading but this complete this could be a completely different list uh you know whoever wins the the battle in north carolina has a decent system there whoever wins out at western kentucky texas tech uh this this whole list could be upside down i mean i expect like you know uh guys like um stroud and young and williams to kind of be one two and three and stuff like that but this whole five through uh, whatever can turn upside down within a month to two months time, depending on when we start seeing these battles being won in the summertime too. So uh, I'm just pretty excited, but I'm also just love to see uh, more than just the SEC. No offense, Jared. I know you're the SEC guy, but it's nice to see more, uh, more uh, conferences represented in an offensive that, uh, that plays well into CFF, not just in CFB purposes. So that's pretty awesome. 
Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to brag on other conferences getting <laughs> referenced here in the SEC. That just means we have better defenses over there. That's true. So, all right. Yeah, there I think go. that pretty much covers our overall feelings for the quarterback class. I think overall, we all agree this is a much deeper class than we're, we're typically used to in CFF. And I think a little thought I just had was. We don't have a lot of rushers here in this top 12 because we're thinking like, okay, guys who are going to be passing the ball probably have a little, or sorry, let me rephrase what I just said. We were talking about how there's not a lot of rushing QBs here in the top 12, but there's a lot of rushing QBs that are just right outside this top 12, like down there in the QB2, QB3, QB4 range. And I think that's what partially adds to the depth that we're kind of expecting this year because you have a lot of higher floor guys right behind these guys. Am I, it, does that kind of make sense? Am I talking crazy here? No, I don't know. No, and I think while there's a number of players here like Quinn Ewers, um, Stroud, Young, those types of guys that are, are going to be very heavy on the pass side, uh, guys like uh, Gabriel, potentially even Cameron Ward, you know, guys like that can give you something from, from a rush uh, production. So it's not like it's it's totally nothing, but yeah, I mean – there's really Cunningham's really the only real heavy rush option out of these out of this bunch. I'd be interested to see how much uh, run Gabriel gets this year. Um, I, yeah, think, I think that could definitely bring. I'm very excited for it. Alrighty, so let's get into like we discussed the overall feel for this class, but let's kind of get into the fun part about this, and that's where we roast each other for some where some of our rankings <laughs> are. We're gonna go CFF on trial we're going to put some of these players and ourselves on trial for where we are ranking some of these guys and we're going to start off with our quarterbacks here and i'll go first because i'm the host and i would never do something that you guys aren't willing to do so y'all get ready to roast me what's going to happen here is the person who is the outlier among the rankers is going to get to say their piece first and then everybody else is then going to be able to ask them questions as to maybe where they might find some holes in the logic, or maybe they're like, hey, that's a good point, stuff like that. So we'll start off with where I have uh, my friend Malik Cunningham ranked. Uh, he is ECR QB5. Brandon, you have him as QB5. Chris, you have him as QB4. Nate, you have him as QB3. I have him all the way down at QB10. Listen, Malik Cunningham finished as the quarterback two last year. I get the love. I really, really do. But touchdown regression is coming for this man. Dude scored 19 rushing touchdowns during the regular season last year. And Chris, you even ran the numbers earlier this offseason and showed that he overperformed his rushing touchdown expectation by 9.18 rushing touchdowns. Let's take away those 9.18 rushing touchdowns from last year, and we're going to take away half of that ridiculous game that he had against Duke where he like threw for like five touchdowns. I don't think we expect Malik Cunningham to be throwing five touchdowns every single week in the Louisville offense. So take that away. That, bring, that brought him down to a point where he was in the QB 13 range last year. So that's last year. Let's talk about this year. Is his receiving core any better? I wouldn't say really it is. Like, I know a lot of people are on Huggins, Bryce, um, and I I personally like Tyler uh, Harrell uh, quite a bit. But again, it's not like these guys were there last year. I don't think we're going to see a significant upgrade in terms of the passing weapons that he has. He had Marshawn Ford last year. Um, and then in addition to that, 
They just hired Lance Taylor as their offensive coordinator, formerly the Notre Dame running back coach over at Notre Dame. He's going to want to see more out of the running backs. I mean, Jalen Mitchell was a very big disappointment last year, part of the reason why Malik Cunningham had to step up so much, because Jalen Mitchell couldn't really carry the team like we saw JV and Hawkins do the year before. So you got guys like Jalen Mitchell, Jalen Mitchell, Trayvon Cooley, uh, Tyon Evans coming in from Tennessee. One of those guys is going to be the guy for Louisville going forward in terms of like they got to be able to get a guy that's going to get them goal line touchdowns outside of Cunningham. So I don't know. That's why I have him down at QB 10. I'm not putting him all the way down at that like adjusted, like when I took away all the rushing touchdowns, I'm not putting him down there in QB 13, QB 14 ranges because I realize it's just the system he's in. He's going to get some plenty of run. He's going to have a big game or two. But I personally think he's going way too high in drafts right now. I believe if I can pull this up real quick, he is going as a QB4 in drafts, currently an ADP of 16.5. So right there on that, right there at the beginning of the second round, way too high for me. I'd much rather wait for the third round for a guy like Sam Hartman, Hendon Hooker, uh, where they're not going with as much of a steep price. That's my take on Malik Cunningham. I probably, if he stays in that range, I'll probably own zero of Malik Cunningham, except, except in best ball leagues. I do like him in best ball leagues. Okay. Right. Who, who would um, like to go first? Nate, you're the lawyer out of this group, so let's let the like, lawyer let's take his thing. Let me absolutely um, have, a, have a shot at this one for a second here, and then I'll, <laughs> then I'll let everybody else take a, take a little jab at, at Jared here. So I 100% understand what you're talking about with the TD regression. No, I don't think he's going to run for nearly 20 touchdowns again next year. TD regression will happen. You are I, – I think you are over – compensating a little bit you're 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 you've moved too far in the wrong direction um if you if you would have said okay maybe he's qb6 qb7 i could i could understand that here's the deal from a fantasy football perspective louisville's defense was ranked 84th last year they are showing zero signs of improvement really uh he's going to be playing catch up all season long just like he always says their non-conference schedule is trash central florida South Florida, James Madison, all mm-hmm. three programs that absolutely cannot stop Malik Cunningham and have a decent enough offense to make it competitive so that he's not out of that game by halftime. There's shootout potential literally every week that he plays in. His, his sophomore uh, passing season was actually pretty impressive. Uh, there is potential for him to be a better passer. He can make up for some of what he loses rushing with his arm because he can be a better passer. I, I know you don't love, doesn't sound like at least you love the receiving group that he's got there, but I think it's kind of a sneaky, good receiver group. You mentioned Harold Huggins. Bruce is a guy that the staff is compared to two, two Atwell. He takes that next step forward. Uh, that's a guy that Malik Cunningham doesn't even have to be good getting the ball to just get the ball to him in space and he'll take care of the rest. Um, Marshawn Ford, I think is a top, five tight end. We'll argue about that one later on. I got, I got some thoughts on that one too, but um, I think it's a pretty decent receiver group. So I just, my thoughts are that you have overcorrected in, in, in the wrong direction here, guys, what do you guys back me up here? Um, I mean, I'll go next. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it has the same offensive coordinator been there for longer than say five or six years. No, no, new offensive coordinator. Yeah. New OC. 
Well, it's okay. State. Well, this year, but I'm talking about previous years. I'm talking like uh, Lamar and Teddy Two Gloves. Like the system's been going on for years at quarterback with similar production, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Correct. As far as like high run. Uh, Satterfield scoring. wasn't there for Lamar. Okay. But, S- but Satterfield was the OC the last couple of years with with Cunningham here. Okay. So I mean, it's there. There's there's carryover. He just brought in a new guy that's calling plays. For actually, we don't even know if he's calling plays. I don't think he's calling plays. I think it's still going to be Satterfield calling plays. I still think the OC thing. Like, yeah, he's like RB minded, and I'm I'm big on on Evans. I think he might be this the standout. But like, you could make the case for Cooley too, right? But this system's been in place, and I mean. Nate, you're a system guy, so you would know better than anyone. But this has been going on for years, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or then we're moving on to Lamar. Now we're in Malik Cunningham. These are like Louisville's quarterback has just been one of those guys that you look for. You don't have to draft them like one overall like I did with Lamar, like when I first started in CFF or anything like that. But Malik Cunningham definitely would be a consideration. Like I think the second round is a decent uh, grade for him. Would I be willing to wait on quarterback because of the depth this year? Yeah, for sure. But I don't see where, you know, not having him in the second round as like my first quarterback off the board. I wouldn't see that be necessarily a bad thing per se. And you guys can chime in anytime you want. But for me, it just seems like this system is locked in at a quarterback position and I don't see it changing too, too much. You know what I mean? Mox, what do you think? I think you've overcorrected as well. So the players that have overperformed the most in terms of expected touchdowns. So Malik Wilson is number one. He had 9.18, like you said. No, Adrian Lee Martinez. Cun- Lee Cunningham, I thought, had the 9.18. Yeah, what did I say? You said Blake Willis. Oh, yes, Malik Cunningham, sorry. Ah, oh, good. <laughs> the others that per- overperformed, Adrian Martinez, Brennan Armstrong, Malik Willis, I was reading paper, okay. uh, Dustin Crum, and Jerry Bohannon. Those are all rushing quarterbacks. I expect them to overperform each year because they're higher than the expectation, right? They're just better rushers than average. Mm-hmm. I think Sam Hartman is one that you can legitimately expect to, to regress you know, you have him higher than Malik Cunningham. And I think a big regression is coming for him because he had seven, he had like 13 rushing touchdowns last year. I think that's crazy. I think, um, I don't also don't think it's fair to remove production from his biggest game because that is within his range of outcomes as a player. And I think variance matters a lot to winning uh, each, you know, each matchup, you can score like 300 points, 350 points. Variance is very important. And I think that high ceiling keeps him up there for me. Even, even in like standard leagues, his floor is fairly high, but I mean, you can get a 50 point week out of him. How many other players can you really get a 50 point week out of? And so that level of variance keeps him top five for me. Even if we see him regress a little bit on a week to week basis, I guarantee at some point this year, he scores 45, 50 points in some game. And that's going to win you a week. He's going to, yeah, he's going to win you a week. Yeah. At least one. All right. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, go last, ahead, Nate. Last, po- last point I want to roast you on here, Jared. Last point, I promise. <laughs> but I looked, I was looking at your top 10 or your top 12 rankings. And I swear to God, if we put um, a blank over where your name is, I would have thought if I, if I didn't know it was you, I would have sworn it was a Debbie guy because you have Jackson Dart and Quinn Ewers above Malik Cunningham for college fantasy football production. Two guys that have done diddly poo in their careers so far and have next to no rushing upside. This is college fantasy football. This is a dude 
that can run for a thousand yards and 20 touchdowns. You know how I know he can do that? Cause he did it. He freaking did it. Okay. I'll address several things here. So Chris, <laughs> Chris, you've, you've brought up Sam Hartman and I agree with you that he, he is also seeing, he's also going to see some rushing uh, touchdown regression, obviously. I, and I agree with you. He probably sees a bigger one than Cunningham does. I would say that I think my personal opinion is I think he's going to make up for some of that by for throwing more this year because I like his receiver group a lot more than I do Cunningham's. Same conference, same bad defense. I think he'll make up for some of that with just some more yards to the air. Um, Nate, I'll admit you got me a little bit good with the Jackson Dart and Quinn Ewers over him. I got a little flushed over here, so I think I would definitely be making that adjustment because like hearing you say that out loud, I'm like, yeah, did I really do that? Did I really do that? Yeah. That's a mistake. I agree with that one. I will probably be moving Cunningham up just a little bit. You guys are right. I have convinced you are convinced me. I have overcorrected here. Yeah. I still don't like where he is going. I don't like being forced to draft him in the second round when I can get a guy like Hendon Hooker or Sam Hartman in the third. Um, so I'll still probably not own any of him in a standard league, but you're probably going to see me move him up towards like QB7, QB6 range. All right, been a little long on that one, but even so, appreciate you guys for your feedback and everything. Who's up next on the chopping block? It's Nate. Nate, Nate <laughs> sir. I'm already, I'm already fired up. <laughs> you are. You have Mr. Jackson Dart. Uh, you are, or you are defending your ranking of Jackson Dart today. Definitely not defending him because you are much lower on him than the rest of us. ECR currently has him as QB ten among our group. Brandon, you have him as QB9. Chris, you have him as QB9. I have him as QB9. <laughs> Nate, you're all the way down at QB17. Defend yourself, Ooh. sir. Absolutely. I gladly will defend myself here. So let me let me start by saying I do like what little bit we've seen from Jackson Dart. Clearly, the, the skill set, the tools are there. Um, let's not forget, I was just happening to look as I was putting together my defense. I was looking through uh, some of the USC stats for last year. Did you guys realize that uh, both Slovis and Miller Moss had a higher QBR than Jackson Dart? Jackson Dart was actually the last one of the three. Oh. I know it's, it's a very limited sample size, but just something interesting that I found there. Um, let's take a look because I know a lot of people are going to defend the system here and Lane Kiffin. Okay. So let's take a look at Lane Kiffin real quick. I'll try to be quick. Let's, I know that things looked great last year with Matt Corral and Jeff Levy. Let's take Jeff Levy out of the mix. Okay. Cause Kiffin has a pretty significant track record here. The last two years were with Corral and Levy. So let's take those two out of the mix. 2019 at FAU, Chris Robinson. Fantasy production, 18 points a game. 2018, Chris Robinson, fantasy production, 11 points. Jeff Driscoll in 17, 19 points. Cody Kessler, USC, 13 points. Matt Barkley, USC, 2012, 21 points. 2011, Matt Barkley averaged 25 points per game. Really, really nice year. 2010, Matt Barkley, 17 points. 2009, Jonathan Crompton, 15 points. That is what we're looking at with Lane Kiffin. Do not be fooled. Jeff Levy was the reason Matt Corral was such a success last year. Not Lane Kiffin. All right. Now, while, um, you know, I, I just feel that if we also take into account that the transfer is happening, Jackson Dart is having to learn a new system. Um, he's 
got a lack of proven options there as far as his skill positions at uh, at Ole Miss. Um, and as Jared will so um, often tell you, he is moving from the minor leagues defense that is played out in the Pac-12 to the professional defense that is the SEC. So we must take that into account. I'll use Jared's own argument against him there. Um, and I don't think we can ignore the fact that he does have a history of knee issues. Um, he missed some time in high school with the knee. He missed a lot of last year with the meniscus repair. So I, just all those things are what's preventing me from having him as a top 10 to 15 quarterback. I'm trying to, I'm trying to process everything that was just said. Um, <laughs> so I think you bring up a lot of good points, Dave. I do. And including the fact that he's moving from the Pac-12 to the SEC. I will not deny that. However, I'm going to fight back a little bit on the idea that Levy was the whole reason behind Matt Corral's success last year. Because again, again, you did you did your research. You did a great job pointing out how Lane Kiffin's systems look without Matt, without Jeff Levy there. But Lane Kiffin would be a moron, in my opinion, to not take what he if if, if Levy really was the reason why his offenses have been so successful at Ole Miss the past couple of years. He'd be a moron not to take some lessons away from that and apply it to whatever new system he's going to try to do without Levy there. I have a feeling that you're going to this new the system we're going to see here is going to be more reminiscent of what we saw with Levy because Lane again Lane is not an idiot. He's seen how successful that offense was even going up against SEC defenses. So I have a feeling you're going to still see it. The question to me is, can Dart run like they kind of ran Matt Corral last year, which really kind of destroyed Matt Corral near the end of the season where? I don't think he had a game above 25 points uh, because after that Tennessee game, they they were just kind of hobbling him out there and they wouldn't let him run. Uh, Will we get the same thing out of Matt Corral? I think that's, or out of Jackson Dart, that's the part that scares me just a little bit, but I think the ceiling is also there just in that, um, in that Ole Miss offense going there. So Brandon or Chris, either one of you guys want to chime in here? Moxley, you got anything? Uh, Give me one sec. I'm I'm pulling right. something together. Um, I'm I'm just gonna kind of because I really don't get a whole lot. I mean, I just I love the I love the system. I do think Lane Kiffin has learned a little bit more from Levy and things like that as well. So I kind of reminisce it to what Jared's saying is that uh, he's he's not a complete dummy head. I mean, yeah, he's controversial at times, but I think he's picked up some tricks. And uh, now that he's got um, you know Michael Trigg there, which we could talk about tying in soon, and the plenty of you know, Ole Miss that's got around him, I think it's very possible that uh, Darsh is going to have a solid season. I mean, I, I could see easily over the 20 fantasy point marker pretty simply. So mm-hmm. I'm also going to, uh, Chris, you need another second or two? Yeah, give me a sec. That's all good. Um, I'm just going to fight back a little bit on the idea that, like, yes, the weapons here are unproven, but like in terms of talent, I'm not disliking this receiver group any more than. What, what we had in the past couple of years. I mean, obviously we don't have an Elijah Moore anymore, but like uh, Dontario Drummond and Brandon Sanders, like in terms of like Jonathan Mingo coming in this year and like I think Jordan Watkins is expected to be a starter for this year. Like in terms of talent, like I still like those guys plenty, just as much as I would have liked Drummond coming into this year or um, uh, what, why am I blanking on that? Brandon Sanders coming into this year as well. So I think they're. Um, I think that's not going to be the thing that holds him back. And then you add in that he's bringing in uh, Michael Trigg, who we'll talk about a little bit more la- later. I think he's going to be just fine with options at receiver. And again, like Kiffin, Le- Levy offense, whatever you want to call it, um, they've done a good job of keeping guys open. 
I will say while, while Mox is, is looking something up there, I also think part of the reason why some people are so high on Dart without him proving anything is Austin has hyped this guy up. Austin Nace, who does a fantastic <laughs> job. Yes, let's go. Of, of you know, he, he does a great job of identifying young talent. But let's face it, I think people move guys in their ranks and they, they, they view him highly. He tends to move the needle a little bit whenever he becomes one of Austin's guys. And I think that's the case that we're looking at right here. <laughs> Nate, I, I, I think this is hilarious because I just looked at the chat and Corey P just came in and asked if Nate is the CFF version of Austin. <laughs> so this is that, that was not as grumpy Nate, Nate's not as grumpy <laughs> uh, that was so I do, I do love a good charcuterie board though yeah it's true Mox you finally ready all right I'm ready so let's have it all right I don't think the comparison that we're making between Jackson Dart and dudes who Lane Kiffin had at like FAU is really a fair one to make in terms of quarterback production we can go back to USC but like those weren't there's not, I don't think, a quarterback that has the quality of Jackson Dart that he has had at any point. So, yeah, we say, okay, FAU's quarterback didn't do well. So what? Like, I don't think that's a fair comparison. Second, the number of plays this offense runs is fairly substantial. Last season, they ranked fifth in plays per game, and they had an above-average neutral, neutral pass rate, which has always been true of Lane Kiffin's offense. So an above-average pass rate. We play games that are probably playing catch-up. Their defense is very poor. So the opportunity to throw for 525 attempts, 550 attempts, it's there. And it was there last season. And it's been there a lot of the tenure that Kiffin's had. Bring in Charlie Weiss Jr. Charlie Weiss Jr. was the offensive coordinator last season at South Florida. He was also with Lane Kiffin previously. Lane Kiffin knows what he's getting. Even at South Florida, an above average neutral game script pass rate, despite having Timmy McClain. And Timmy McClain actually played kind of well there. I, th I think that the system transition from Levy to um, Charlie Weiss Jr., plus knowing what we know about how Kippen likes to run plays, the offensive, they're above average in terms of offensive drives per game, number of plays per game, the pace that they play at. And this has been true for Kippen for the last 10 years of head coach experience. That sheer volume will keep a guy like Jackson Dart, plus the talent that's around him. I like Jonathan Mingo. I like Michael Trigg. I'm not totally sold on their rushing game. I think that Jerry and Ely played a big role and they don't have him this year. I think the sheer volume plus the lack of opportunities in the rushing game, like Henry Parrish transferred out. I don't really know that they're going to have success on the ground. So it's really hard for me to keep Jackson Dart outside of my top 12 and even top 10 just based solely on opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit like Mox. I'm most, I'm with you for most of that. I think you did again, great points, bro. I'm going to push back a little bit on the idea that they're not going to be able to rush the ball as much. Cause it, I'm not as high on Zach Evans as a lot of people and everything, but I still think he's a good running back. I think he'll replace a good chunk of the, um, as long as he plays, obviously, as long as he plays, but then Ulysses Bentley just came in as well. And like, I think yeah. they're, I think they're both fine backs. Like, even if you're not super high on them, they're going to do what, uh, Kiffin and them want them to do. I don't think they have a bunch of scrubs back there or anything. I think Ely, the way that they utilize Ely is the way that they need to use Ulysses Bentley. I don't think I don't think Zach Evans is a great fit for this offense. Um, and so I question whether or not his role is because like his role is, is going to be more similar to the one that we saw Snoop Connor and Henry Parrish play. And I expect Bentley to make make probably more of that. Jerry and Ely rule, and I don't think he's nearly as talented as Ely. And I think Ely was a huge part of that offense that went under the radar last season. Like 
Maybe I just don't like Ulysses Bentley as, as much to replace that type of role in the offense. That was so critical, breaking off like 70, 60-yard runs every other game to keep the, the pace of play offense, pace of play moving forward for uh, this whole Miss team. So maybe I'm just slower on the running backs, so I don't like him as much. I think those are all fair points. Yeah, I'll just conclude saying I, I think that that's, that's fair points. Um, you, I think you just have to be a little bit higher on Kiffin um, minus Levy than I am right now. And I think that's probably where the gap lies. So are you, are you sticking Basically. with your QB 17 ranking then, Nate? Or do you feel like you might be bumping him up just a spot or two? I will take a look. Okay. I will, I will, take, I will take a look <laughs> after the show and see uh, where we can make some changes. But I, I, I can't promise anything at this point. I don't have your rankings pulled up and everything, but I would be curious to see who you have because again, you you wrote you got me when you said that I had Ewers and Dart ahead of uh, Cunningham, so I'm curious right. to see who you have right around Dart, and I probably could put Dart mm-hmm. ahead of them. We'll go ahead and move on. We'll put somebody else on the chopping block here. We're moving on to Chris Maximus. You are on trial for the crime, the crime of placing John Rice Plumley far too low compared to everybody else. He is our ECR quarterback 25. Brandon, you have him at the highest at QB 18. Nate, you're a little bit lower than Brandon. You're at QB 26. I'm right there in the middle of you guys. I have him at QB 21. Chris, good Lord, sir. You're down at QB 40 for this man. What's going on? Yeah, and y- Y'all are lucky I even have him that high. I don't... Oh. Wow. I think there's a sub 40% chance that he's the week one starter at UCF this year. Mikey Keene is the incumbent. Everything that I have read from UCF guys who are plugged into the program think that it's Keene's job to lose. I'm not sure he's going to lose it. And maybe he'll lose it as we head into the season. That's a fair possibility, but I, he's not starting. If he's not starting, he's not cracking my top 36. No chance. I, I don't even think he should crack the top 24, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'm open to arguments depending on what we all want to say. I don't think he's going to start week one. So then I went back and looked, okay, he had an opportunity to start. He played nine games in 2019 as a starter at Ole Miss. Through nine games, he had 45.6 total fantasy points from passing. This dude can't throw the ball. He's not asked to throw the ball. He can't really throw the ball. He's not very accurate when he does. It's not a part of his game. Averaging five points per game passing creates an incredibly low four when the defense can key in on you when you're rushing the ball. It's a little scary. He had uh, two games under 10 points and four of his nine games that season were under 15 points. One of his games where he ran for like 212 and four was 24% of his fantasy output that year. This is a guy who has a really low floor week to week that I don't feel, I don't know if I could feel comfortable starting him in any matchup knowing that I could get 10 points if he doesn't score a rushing touchdown. Cause the max passing points that he had was like nine. Add all that together into a quarterback competition that features five players, Navarro, Tom Castellanos, incumbent Mikey Keene, Joey Gatewood, and John Reese Plumley. I think Plumley comes in as the two or the three, probably. It sounds like they really like Castellanos. They uh, seems to still like Mikey Keene. He's going, uh, I listened to an interview. He said that um, Gus Mazzana said that he's Keene is operating as the one. They'll rotate guys in, but it's, it's basically his job to lose. And I don't know if I can, I can put him up here. Like the same way that I'm moving a guy like Tanner Mordecai down because we, well, we've heard about Preston Stone. Like I haven't heard enough good news that about Plumley to justify him being in my top 24. Like I, I, there's way too much risk with this position. Even if he does start, I don't like his week to week upside. Like, I don't think you can start him in half your games. 
Brandon, you're the highest out of the four of us on Plumlee, so I'm going to let you start off with the defense here. Um, so, you know, full transparency, it's not – I still have John Reese Plumlee. He's still – he's currently 21, but it, I did move him, you know, very further down just because of a few adjustments that I made. I, I love the opportunity. I mean, we saw what happens. I, I, maybe it's more like the uh, the Gabriel effect. That's probably me, I would have to say, as far as where I'm coming from, is being able to have the rush and the pass opportunity. And, uh, I'll you know, I'll be honest with you, like the UCF always produces some type of decent wide receiver that kind of comes out of the grass and starts becoming, you know, more of like a wide receiver one type situation. So I just see opportunity when it comes to John Reese Plumley. I didn't think he was all that terrible. I mean, I, I get it. He's not like pass first. He's more of a run first type situation. So maybe it's just a bias of Gabriel coming from UCF. And now I'm thinking, you know, put John Reese Plumley, boom, put him to UCF. And now we have a decent match. So that's probably where I'm coming from, I would have to say. And, you know, that might cause me to come down a little bit more. I already, you know, did a few spots down or anything like that. That's kind of where I'm coming from. It's just the UCF match. The system, um, I know it's not Levy and it's not what Gabriel had when he was there. That's why they're both in Oklahoma. That's why I'm excited for that season. So uh, so maybe I'm just looking at it in a sense where I just see, you know, the right square fit into the right square peg. And, I, you know, maybe I just see a good match, basically. That's where I'm coming from. You guys can chime in and, and tell me your thoughts, too. Hey, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, go, go ahead, Jared. I'll, I'll go last year. So, again, we'll go back to his 2019 season. And, again, you're right. You're right, Mox. Like, this guy, or Plumlee, struggles to pass the ball. Like, he had more rushing yards than he did passing yards. Uh, when he was starting for Ole Miss in 2019, he only threw for 910 yards versus rushing for 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns on the ground. Clearly, the upside for Plumlee is going to be in his legs, and his passing ability is going to be limited. However, for me, Plumlee seems like to be one of the one of the only guys whose upside on the rushing side is more than enough to be able to make up for his ability to or or his inability inability, excuse me, to move the ball through the air. And like you, and you you mentioned, like what if they key in on him? Well, then they hand the ball off to Isaiah Bowser, and then they got another problem they got to worry about. In addition. Gus Malzahn has been known to take these kind of unconventional quarterbacks that maybe aren't as good through the passing game and to really make something out of them. We've seen it with Nick Marshall. We've seen it with, um, uh, Lord, what, what, what was his name? It's not Cam Newton. It was after him. Um, blanket on a name here real quick. Apologies, y'all. Anyway. I thought it was just Nick Marshall. I don't remember him doing much else with somebody. I thought there's one more person after him. I can't remember. But he... But even so, like Gus Malzahn's known for kind of taking these unconventional quarterbacks. It's part of the reason why he was one of the biggest guys to recruit uh, Castellanos, uh, and why I think he's already just a, a major player in that QB battle, as you mentioned. Because again, these are the kind of guys that fits Malzahn. He likes doing these. Um, he, he likes making his offenses something different than teams need to worry about. And I think Plumlee could easily be that guy over a guy like Mikey Keene. I was really not impressed with Mikey Keene at all last year. I took the under on him several times when I was doing fantasy bets every single week because, again, I just he was not Dylan Gabriel, and he certainly, I don't think, could be somebody who uh, I, I think Plumlee could beat him out by the time we get around to fall camp. I think probably the only reason why you're hearing people saying, like, oh, it's Keene's job to lose is because, like you said, he is the incumbent, but I don't think he has a stranglehold on the job like you maybe are making it sound like right now. Um, Nate, you got any more thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I'll be quick. I'm I'm the lowest, or I guess I should say the second lowest after after Chris in our in our group here. So, but um, a good uh, district attorney does not care. He still brings he still brings the uh, the argument here. So, I I get Chris's point that maybe he doesn't start. That's a little concerning. However, um, he's a smart guy. He knows there's only a handful of programs, a handful of coaches where his style really really fits. Uh, I would think that he would have chosen one that does. I would think that the coach that brings him in, and they've said we fully intend to play him at quarterback. Uh, so I think kind of like Jaden Daniels, where he's going there, and I think he and the staff fully intend on him being the one that wins that job. Um, opposite of one of my arguments for Jackson Dart, I do think he goes from the SEC to um, a lower level conference, which does help. Uh, those defensive backs aren't quite as good. The, the windows may be a little bit uh, larger for him to be able to make some of those passes that he couldn't make at Ole Miss. Um, I'll also say the wide receiver room there is really nice for a G5 program. You've got Jalen Robinson coming back from injury. Ryan O'Keefe has proven he's a nice player. Kobe Hudson comes over as a uh, four-star recruit from Auburn. Uh, tight end, Kenmore Gamble. I mean, those are, those are good. That's a really good room for a G5 level. So um and, and, and like you mentioned, Gus has been shaky at times with quarterback, but he was he put together a hell of a uh, of a couple of seasons with Nick Marshall, where Nick Marshall one season ran for 800 yards with 11 TDs and over a thousand yards with 12 TDs. I mean, if he's I, I do think that there is the upside if he wins that job, which I intend that he will, that, um, you know, we could be looking at something like 2,200 yards passing 15 to 18 passing touchdowns and, you know, 800 to a thousand rushing yards and 10 TDs. I mean, that's a, that's really productive. I just, um, I, I also have my concerns that, um, that he is a quality enough passer to make that happen. But but uh, it's a favorable schedule. Gus brought him in for a reason, so I'm, I'm going to uh, rank him as such. I want to throw a little bit in here where I, I understand the concerns a ton, but that's why I have him down as a second option at quarterback. Like, I'm not drafting. If, if I get later into, this, into a draft and, like, I haven't taken a quarterback yet and we're in the QB2 range, I'm not taking John Rice Plumley as my first quarterback off the board. Like, that's, ne that's never going to happen to me. I'm going to take him as my second guy behind a guy who is much more entrenched as a starter with a much safer floor than Plumlee. And then when things work out, with, if things work out with Plumlee, that's awesome. I got him as my second quarterback. If not, well, then I probably would have drafted somebody safer in as my QB3 or QB4, and then I can figure out what I want to do with Plumlee from there. I don't think you're, ever, again, breaking him down at QB40 to me feels like a mistake because you're, like, again... Looking at some of the other guys that'll be down there in that QB 40 range, I don't really see, again, we have a deep quarterback class, no doubt about it, but I don't see the potential upside around that range that you could possibly get with Plumlee if he is the starter at UCF. I'll ask you, Chris, because you're about to kind of close this part out here, but if Plumlee came out, or if they came out tomorrow and they said Plumlee is the starter, would, would that move him up your rankings, or are you sticking with the QB 40? No, he'd definitely move up, and I think that's a huge reason I have him. The two arguments that I have for, for him is I don't think he starts week one. I think that I honestly believe Mikey Keene is going to start week one. The schedule through six weeks is really nice. Like, I don't think you're getting a guy benched. 
out of that. He would have to be benched after the Louisville game. That's the only opportunity because he plays FAU. He plays SMU. He plays South Carolina State. It's a really easy schedule. So Louisville's would be the chance. So let's say he does start, right? I have a lot of concerns about – I don't think he's a dual-threat quarterback. I think he's a single-threat quarterback who's a rusher, period. He hasn't played the quarterback position in two full years. Like, I, I don't think that could be understated enough. So I just does have it, concerns. Does it worry you at all that it does feel like Mikey Keene is um, kind of the, the, the odd man? Like, he, he doesn't fit – in with the rest of the quarterbacks in that room. It's almost like Gus is going out of his way to find guys that can run the ball. Mikey Keene's the only one in that group that really can't run at all. It's, he, it didn't Gus even take a freshman this year that most other programs were offering basically a running back, but he's like, no, no, no. I want you to come in and be my dual threat quarterback. I mean, it's, he seems yeah, like he, he is, I don't know. And, and from what I saw, I get Mikey King was a, was a freshman last year, but, I don't know. He, he, he was, he was pretty meh. I mean, pretty meh. I just wonder if you can sell to the fan base as well that, Hey, this guy that beat Florida in our bowl game, we're going to bench him now. And we're going to bring out a guy who's, who hasn't played quarterback in two years. That, I, I think like, it'd be hard to sell like to those people that Keen was the reason why they won that bowl game. I would I'd very much argue is more Emory Jones having probably one of the worst games I've ever seen a quarterback play. Sure. But the fan base isn't, isn't rational. I, that is why I have him here. If he comes out and says John Reed is a starter, I will move him up probably 15 spots. Okay. I'll yeah. put him between put him... 25 and 30. I think that's fair. Because, again, that, that leaves a little bit of room for, like you said, the concerns about the upside with throwing. But it also leaves room for, if he does hit that upside, who boy. Yeah. And I have, I, I have no problem taking him in a, uh, a best ball draft either. Because I mm-hmm. – I think at some point that he will start a handful of games. I just don't know when those are going to come. Absolutely. So let's move on. We actually talk about a lot of Russian QBs today because finally we got Mr. Brandon T. Sanders. You are on the block here, sir, with Mr. Garrett Schrader, ECR quarterback 15. Chris, you have him at QB 15. Nate, you have him up at QB 7, which almost could have been its own um, on trial there. But... And I have my QB 12, but Brandon, you're all the way down there at QB 23. So, sir, what is going on here? Why do you not believe in Garrett Schrader like some of the other people here? So, full transparency, uh, since, you know, before we collected this stuff, he is QB 18 for me currently. So, it's not like I've, I'm soured on the guy. Here's where I'm coming at. There's just so many more quarterbacks that I'm just wanting to take and that's just being honest when you have the guys like literally right now I have like a guy like Tanner Mordecai but he's his spot is there not so much Tanner Mordecai but the SMU quarterback because I'm I'm, you know if it's Preston Stone I'm still going to take him and Tanner Mordecai is going to drop you know there's guys like Aiden O'Connell that I'd rather have because of the high upside and the wide receiver core that uh, Purdue has we talked about in the future freshman podcast if you have a really solid wide receiver lineup and a really good uh, stand in the pocket quarterback at Purdue they're likely to produce going with it guys like Frank Harris I love the meat meeps and the roadrunners we're going to talk about a guy you know big fish small pond from UTSA that's coming out basically as well and a guy like Zakari Franklin as the wide receiver I love that type of pairing of course I'm big on Clayton Toon Houston has a ton of upside with McCaskill of course, Nathaniel Dell, I love the freshman that's coming in as well that we talked about. Uh, and then there's guys like the UNC quarterback, whether that's Harold, who I'm actually 
but you know after all these episodes of the guys talking about Harold on the recruiting podcast you know on the official stuff of that I'm I'm growing on Harold a lot uh but I still think it's Drake May, you know, and that system, we saw what Sam Howell's able to do in a UNC offense. Downs is still there. They're bringing in top, you know, recruits and stuff like that. There's just a lot of these other teams that I'm kind of banking on there as well. Granted, I didn't know when I first started, I didn't realize about the UVA OC, and that's where I've kind of moved up a little bit more on him as well. So I have him above uh, Brendan Armstrong, uh, but I just – uh, there's just other options like a Will Rogers, the McCall, you know, guys like that that I'm willing to take higher versus, you know, and especially like when you're trying to pick a QB one, I just don't see, I see Schrader's my QB two, if that makes sense. Like I would take him there or I would just skip and then go later and go down to a guy like uh, Talia or someone like uh, Jerkovich or something like that, you know, later around. So I'm willing to take as a QB two and just take higher on a guy like Gabriel Hooker, Ewers, um, Williams, those kind of guys. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's just, I just see there's others that are out there that I just see a higher potential. We haven't even talked about, you know, the Texas Tech quarterback that could win as well. So uh, I'm interested to hear Nate first because the QB7, I really am. I'm really intrigued, good DA, sir. And if you're going to roast me, I'd rather talk to the guy that's got him up the highest first. So let's hear what you got, man. Fantastic. I will, I will gladly um, be the first one to, to step up to the plate here. So I like the fact that you've you've uh, kind of reconsidered where you had him and you've moved him up a handful of spots, but I will bring the heat still. <laughs> I will still come after you as though you have not. So please burn me. Okay. First off, sir, how dare you? <laughs> QB, QB 23, even QB 18, how dare you? It is though you didn't <laughs> even read my stock my preseason stock up report it is though but you, i did and you'll see it, it is though you read it and spit on it you still <laughs> didn't not. even care so what what is not like i guess my my question would be what is not to like here i mean the only knock you could have on garrett schrader is that he's inconsistent and that's probably an understatement as far as it comes to passing he's an inconsistent passer at best but he brings over yeah, it's it's a it's a horrific it's a horrific throwing motion. Don't get me wrong, um, but he brings the Syracuse brings over the um, Robert Innate, the OC from Virginia, like you mentioned. He also brings over the quarterback coach Jason Beck with him. I think that's that's uh, that can't be understated because it was that guy that turned Perkins and Armstrong, if you saw either one of those guys throw the ball when they showed up to UVA, it was horrific to watch as well, too. They made tremendous strides as a passer uh, under those two guys uh, as as the uh, position and the OC coach there. He's a dual-threat QB in every sense. He's going to get 150 carries. Mark it down. If you saw the production, the volume that Perkins got, even um, even Armstrong, uh, he's going to get 150 carries. This is a guy that could average – 45 um a volume of between pass attempts and rush attempts together could be over 45 45 to 50 is kind of that range that we've seen the virginia quarterback be in um they're going to play a lot of garbage time syracuse still doesn't play much defense um there is no qb that is pushing him in in that qb room it's his job he even if he does have a couple of really bad outings as far as passing the ball I could still like they, they've got no one to go to. They're just going to have to stick it out with him. So um, I, I just think that 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 just bodes really well for him to to just 
flourish in this system. And I mean, let's let's not forget, Dino Babers is he's been up and down, but man, that guy's also produced some really nice fantasy uh, quarterbacks over his time. He, he, he can produce some quarterbacks too. I just think that this is a mesh uh, of a coaching system and a quarterback skill set and his ability to run the ball that just sets up great for him to have a really, really nice season. I have such a soft spot for Garrett Schrader because I, last year when Austin and Colin invited me onto the campus to Canton or onto campus life, they asked me for a super sleeper. I dug really, really deep, and I found Garrett Schrader going over to Syracuse. Saw that I wasn't really impressed with Tommy DeVito. Saw what he had, what he was able to do at Mississippi State, and I said to myself, I'm "Like this man gets the starting job, he's going to be incredible for fantasy." And well, in the middle of the season, when he first got that starting job and everything, he had four top twenty-four finishes, three of them inside the top twelve. So he is very, very good. It's very impressive for a QB twenty-nine for last year. Didn't start until game three. I will play devil's advocate with myself a little bit here. He did have a very kind of disappointing end to the season. I know a lot of people who are really counting on him to kind of have one last big game during the uh, during the two playoff games. I don't think he scored a, a game over 20 points. I'll have to double check myself on that. Um, but even still, uh, you'll see. Last Yeah, last four games, 16.4, 6.14, 15.52, 16.48. So definitely a very disappointing end to the season there. So I guess that's kind of where a little bit of hesitancy comes in a little bit because, again, that's where those, that lack of passing ability really kind of came back to bite him. But I'm fully with you, Nate. This upgrade in OC and upgrade in quarterbacks coach, I'm fully expecting him to make a, a step forward this year. And the best part about him is if you're in a dynasty and everything, if you own him, he's still got two years of eligibility left. So he is going to be around for a good bit here. Um, definitely, I, I like Garrett Schrader going into the season quite a bit. And again, I, I have him the second highest out of the two of us here at QB12. Mox, what are your thoughts on this? He is basically John Reese Plumley with security, better passing, and a better offensive coordinator. Last season, they ranked 82nd in offensive success rate, 118th in EPA per pass. Can that, dude. Bring in Robert Ane. Last season, Ane had sixth per play in terms of EPA per play, 23rd in pass EPA per play. I expect this offense to be more explosive. I expect it to be overall more efficient. And I expect it to be just better in terms of how many plays they're going to run and opportunities to score. And that was a big question for Syracuse last year. We saw... Garrett Schrader scored 14 rushing touchdowns. I think he could repeat that number again because I think he's going to have more opportunities within the red zone, the 10 zone. And so I'm I'm willing to rank him top 20. Do I have questions about his arm? Absolutely. I think that, you know, he had a lot of games where he didn't throw for 100 passing yards. He has some games where he, I think he only threw for over 200 twice. Again, this guy that is more of a rushing threat, but like Nate said, Tommy DeVito is gone. Nobody's pushing for this job. I like Garrett Schrader, and I like the system that is coming in. I think Sean Tucker gets dialed back a little bit. I don't think he's going to have many rushing attempts. And I think they're going to emphasize downfield passing more. You saw a lot more of that last season at uh, UVA. You didn't see that this year at um, Syracuse. And I think Courtney Jackson's a guy who is going to be a big beneficiary there, play a big part in that offense. I'm really excited to see Garrett Schrader this year because I think a lot of things are changing for the better. I'll throw, you, you, talk, you mentioned uh, Sean Tucker there, and I, I want to throw out there, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to have less rushing attempts this year, but God, I would love to see him get more receptions. I'd love to see He'll him. He'll be more efficient. I was, I'd love He'll to see him get better. more in the receiving game. Because uh, um, 
Ane and the, the whole Mendenhall system was very good about like using guys in creative way through creative ways through the passing game that aren't traditionally used. And so I'm hoping they kind of bring that and really use Sean Tucker in a way that he should be. So Brandon, you've heard uh, three prosecutions of you and your ranking of Garrett Schrader. So what are you thinking, sir? Are you going to move him up a little bit more? Are you sticking to your guns? What are you thinking? Uh, no, I'll probably move him up, uh, you know, a little bit more. I don't know if I could do QB7, no offense to Nate, uh, but I don't know, maybe 15, 16, something like that. Here's here's my rebuttal. I, I think it's Sean Tucker season. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I like I like the opportunity this year. Uh, I, I, I see a, a wide receiver stepping up, but there's no one like a Taj Harris that's a definite type situation. So I'm, I'm just waiting to see what happens in week one and two. Um, but I love the offensive coordinator. I like the new style. So that's where this, you guys with the selling point, that's what's getting me to move them up a few rankings is the, the system fits. And uh, I, I definitely see that error. Regardless if I have my worries, I, I, I have to trust that Garrett Trader's just going to get it done on the ground and not, so, you know, don't rely on the passing as much, even if it might regress that, you know, the running might still be there. Like uh, I like, I like Chris's point where, you know, it could be where Tucker's get most of the run or the passing out of the backfield. They get to the, you know, the end zone and Trader just runs it in himself. So that's kind of where I was like, yeah, I see that point of view for sure. So I'll definitely be moving him higher than 23 or 19. So. Speaking of Taj Harris, uh, rip his fantasy value. He could have gone to yeah. Kentucky. Could have gone to. It could have come back to Syracuse. Yeah, he could have yep. just stayed home. Could have just stayed just at stay Syracuse. Syracuse. And That'd then, been awesome. then he went to Rutgers. He, I'm sure he'd still be fine at Rutgers, but like oh, Rutgers, yeah. But like, man, if he come back to this, I, I'd be. I might be having Taj Harris pretty high in my rankings. Probably top 36, maybe. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. All righty. So that brings us to the end of our QBs. Uh, we're now going to move on to tight ends. We're probably going to go a little bit faster through tight ends because, you know, there's just not as much to discuss when it comes to tight ends and fantasy. Half of Some of y'all's leagues that are probably listening right now don't even have tight ends in them, but we're going to discuss them here anyway. Let's go ahead and discuss those top 12 consensus rankings for tight ends this upcoming year. At number one, we have Miss a the consensus overall unanimous actually not unanimous I just realized because Nate has them a little bit lower, um, or did I? Oh, I am so dumb. I completely forgot to change the numbers in our individual rankings. Y'all forgive me for that. Um, I do have the average rankings correct. So you, the unanimous number one tight end for us is Mr. Brock Bowers out of Georgia. Unanimous number two is Michael Meyer out of Notre Dame. Unanimous number three is Zach Koontz out of Old Dominion. After that, it starts getting a little wonky. It's ben Urasek, we're all pretty agree. He's number four, average ranking of 4.2. So very close. We're all pretty much right there at number four. After that, it gets very ugly. ECR ranking number five is Mr. Michael Trigg out of Old Miss with an average ranking of 7.2. At number six, we have Marshawn Ford, tight end out of Louisville with an average ranking of eight. At number seven, we have Payne Durham, uh, tight end out of Purdue. And then we have, he has an average ranking of 8.8. Joshua Simon is our consensus tight end eight out of Western Kentucky. His average ranking is nine. Jaheim Bell out of South Carolina is our tight end nine with an average ranking of 9.2. Cameron Latu out of Alabama is our consensus tight end 10 with an average ranking of 9.5. Ryan Jones out of East Carolina uh, pretty much tied there with Cameron Latou, but he is our consensus tight end uh, 11 with an average ranking of 9.5. And then we have Sam Laporta bringing up the rear at 
uh, tight end 12 out of Iowa with an average ranking of 13.8. So who did I start with last time? Uh, I think I started with Nate last time. So Chris, we're going to start with you uh, in terms of what are your overall thoughts of this tight end class? And you can just go if you want to. (laughs) I actually really like the first five. Um, I think the top five tight ends that I have, I have ranked. So I have Bowers, Mayer, Koontz, Yurisek, Marshawn Ford. I like all those five a lot. I think they're all really interesting players. And I think that I'm happy if I can get any of those five. After that, there's a huge gap and discrepancy about who we have ranked, their ADP. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think there's some interesting dart throws. I think a guy like uh, Joshua Simon's interesting. Even if you go further down, there, there are a couple interesting dart throws. But I'm trying to get one of the top five because I think any of them can realistically finish as a top two tight end. So I I will – I mean, y'all, y'all know me. Like, I will overpay for tight end in drafts. Usually I'll try to get Brock Bowers. But if I don't, I'll draft one of, the, one of, the, one of those three and just I'll be happy with it. Brandon, what are your thoughts overall on the tight end class this year? Uh, like he was saying, the top three is a lock. Um, you're going to have to pay a high draft pick for the top three, um, especially Mayer and Bowers now pushing round two. I think, I don't know, maybe even Bowers might be into first or something like that. I don't think it's gotten that crazy. Not, not that have, bad, not that crazy. But I haven't seen the second round, and I have seen an early second round here. And uh, and then best ball, he's being taken fairly highly as well, so there's still that going on too. Uh, Koontz, you might be able to catch, you know, in a couple of rounds later, but it just kind of remembers if you can remember to get him before the next guy before you. So that's pretty much a crapshoot there as well. Um, I'm liking some of these guys that are emerging out of uh, – that are coming out of the G5 and it's kind of moving up the ranks like that. I will say that, Nate, I did listen, and I also live an hour away from Greenville, so there is a certain guy by the name of Ryan Jones that I'm very high on, and he's on this list too, uh, with C.J. Johnson no longer at ECU. uh, You know, we don't really have the same wide receivers. Uh, We started seeing the end of the year Ryan Jones starting to make some headway, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him become almost target one, if anything, target number two for our our good friend Holt Naylor, who might enter the chat as soon as we say his name out loud, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, that's where I've kind of seen as top three is a lock. Uh, you have to pay high end, but there's guys like uh, a Jones or a Jaheim Bell. Uh, I like Kuthi. I love guys like uh, Trahan out of Houston, who we'll talk about here shortly as well. There's some guys that you can get some value on uh, that you can get in the later rounds. I'm usually the guy that will not take the tight end very high. I'm usually the one that will kind of wait, you know, in the later rounds because I'm trying to stack up on RB wide receiver. That's usually been my strategy. Uh, but it just kind of depends on being fluent and uh, what your your needs are. Dynasty would be way different. Uh, you know, you have to kind of plant that through supplement or anything like that. However, uh, redraft, this is kind of where we're kind of looking at it in a perspective, at least today. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to game one look for the, the upside basically. So. All right, Nate. What are your thoughts overall on the tight end class? Well, I'm I'm with Chris. I have the same top five that he does. Um, I think I I think I have Ford at four and uh, you're a second five, but the same five uh, all together. But yeah, I mean, I've I've done a handful of best balls and I've tried out a variety of strategies. Um, I've tried taking one of the the big two early. Um, took Brock Bowers like in a third round of one of them. It ended up probably being my least favorite um, roster of, of the best balls that I've done. I've also waited super late and then recently kind of took like, um, you know, like a guy that's kind of in the middle of this top 12 that we're looking at. I took uh, Jaheim Bell uh, recently. By the way, 
I had heard that the staff uh, was talking about that they're interested in potentially using him as like uh, Debo 2.0, which kind of got me a little excited there. I know Chris could probably uh, expand on that a little bit, but that was like, whoa, if we're talking about, you know, doing one of those things, uh, what was his name at uh, NC State that qualified as a tight end? Yeah, Jalen Samuels. Yeah, Samuels, yeah. And it's just like, man, if you can get one of those guys that is a hybrid to begin with, but can do so many different things, but has that tight end eligibility, that's really intriguing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's, you're either going to have to pay up for one of the top two. Um, and, and, you know, we could be looking at Koontz um, kind of in a tier by himself at, at tight end three, um, or you can, you can wait a little bit. So it's just kind of the route that you, that you want to go with this. So I'm full agreement with you guys completely in terms of like, obviously it's those top three. We see the consensus, like those are our top three out of all of us. And then it kind of gets a little wavering as you kind of move down just a little bit. So the thing is here, I'm looking at the ADP for this year. And we keep talking about, it's like, it's, it's Bowers and Meyer kind of in their own tier, then Koontz in his own tier, and then everybody else. That's how we are with our rankings. And I kind of agree with that for the most part, but that's not what we're seeing in the ADP. Let me throw some ADP numbers out for you guys. The Brock Bowers in the redraft leagues that we have done so far, I've done six of them so far. So Brock Bowers has an ADP of 20.5. So that's usually kind of um, mid to late second round. Michael Meyer is going and has an ADP of 36.7. So that's the tail end of the third round, beginning of the fourth round. So he's obviously, he's in almost entire round afterwards. And then Zach Kuntz has an ADP of 76.3, but Jaheim Bell is only six spots behind him at 82.3. So Kuntz hasn't really separated himself from that next tier down. And then you're getting into guys like Michael Trigg, Benjamin Yurasek. They're probably another round or two down. Um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to get y'all's feeling on that. Like for me, if Bowers is going to go almost a full round over Meyer, I'm going to try to go for Meyer um, probably nine out of ten, or probably nine out of ten times, in my opinion, if I want one of those top two guys, or I might just wait a, a, for another 40 picks and then maybe try to target Koontz in like the round like six, seven range. So, what are your overall thoughts? Uh, Chris, I'll start with you because again, you're the big like tight end go early guy. But as far as I can tell with the ADP right now, that doesn't really set up for going for Bowers that early. I, I'm probably driving the Bowers ADP being that early. So taking him you're early. Not the, I, I, I mean, you're, you're part of, you're part of it, but also like I, <laughs> you're, I've done drafts without you, Chris, and there, people are taking him that high as well. I love it. Love it. I'm glad that people uh, understand. So yeah. So I, I take tight end early because the biggest difference maker in terms of points per game over uh, replacement is at tight end. And traditionally, using some of the ADP that you've collected historically, uh, Jared, the we're actually like pretty good at predicting what tight ends are going to finish highly. Like we're actually like much better at it than any other position. So if I think Brock Bowers is going to perform above expectation, above replacement, no problem taking him. And if I miss on him, and if I'm picking at the end of the second, I probably will not get him. I probably won't take Michael Mayer. I think Michael Mayer is closer to the next tier than he is to. Um, than he is to Bowers, because I think you're going to see the expansion, like a different, little bit different offense that's a little bit more aggressive. That probably puts the damper on Mayer. And I still love Michael Mayer. I, I still, he's still too for me. I'm but, the Georgia guy, and I, I, I you yeah. know, I'm not willing to go that far with Bowers. 
Yeah, I mean, I've taken Bowers upwards of like 203 or 204, but I will wait afterwards. I'll, I'll target Koontz. Marshawn Ford's going much later, and I don't really understand the discrepancy there. I'm not as big on Jaheim Bell. I'm a little bit worried about what Stogner's going to do in that traditional tight end role. So I've I've gone back and forth on him because I t- did see the reports that Nate's talking about where we, like, they're going to move him all around. They're going to line him up in the backfield a bunch. They did that last season, too. Like, he took handoffs. He's a really dynamic player. I that that offense has added a lot of weapons though too, and they they they're bringing Corey Rucker tomorrow too. So you, if they get him, Antoine Wells, Josh Van, Austin Stogner, like it's a crowded room to get Bell a lot of work. So I have questions about him. So I'm going, I'm taking Marshawn Ford, and I'm even if I'm waiting, I, I think there are guys in the teens who I like as well. So if I don't get Brock Bowers, I will target Koontz. If I can't get Koontz, Ford, and then I'll just wait because I think there's a lot of value that falls. Again, that's part of the thing that it kind of stuck out to me is like, I, I forget, I think it was Brandon who said earlier, is like, we know the top three and then there's fun dart throws underneath. Or that might've been Chris. I'm, I'm losing track of who says what at this point. Um, there's a ton of fun dart throws underneath. I'm going to push back a little bit on Marshawn Ford just a little bit. And I think, or at least I'm going to attempt to explain why he's probably not up in that consensus compared to like, you guys seem like you're pretty set on him being top five. I'm not. And part of that reason is, I feel like we've seen, like, it's the same reason why I'm not as high on Sam Laporta. I feel like I've seen a full season. I feel like I've seen the role that they're going to get. Marshawn Ford finishes the tight end 23 last year. I would not be surprised if he is finishing in a similar range this year. Now, granted, part of that is, okay, Nate, I see you rubbing your hands. I'm scared. Yeah. Uh, yes, you, you yes. are making my argument against you here in a little bit. I can't wait. Keep going. Go, go, go. Uh, you're, <laughs> I, I already know who you're going to talk about. You're talking about uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Alabama, you right? You no, 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 no. I'm when we talk about it, you're the one that's uh, higher on Trey Hand. Oh, correct? okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Well, my argument against that, I, I will, I will give you a little bit of a sneak peek into it. Is Marshawn Ford? But yes, I mean fair. And, but and I'm pointing this out with Ford, where and again, part of the reason why I'll talk about again, we'll talk about Trey Hand later. Uh, but with Ford. Again, we've seen him have the opportunity to go into a kind of meh wide receiver room because I don't think Louisville's wide receiver room was that great this past year, and he still only finishes the tight end 23. And then you guys were making the argument earlier that Louisville's wide receiver room might even be better this year, so that's probably going to take away some targets from Marshawn Ford there. So I I personally don't get the idea of him being a solidified top five. Now, if you want to play it safe and say, like, all right, I just want to know that I get a top 24 guy, sure, go for Ford. That's fine because there's going to be guys you draft farther ahead of him. They're going to end up being like tight end like 75 because some of these guys are just going to miss. So if you want to go for a safe guy, yeah, go ahead and grab four. But in terms, like if I'm going to wait that late, I'm just going to throw some dart throws, see who I can find that's going to um, get me into that top range. And four to me, isn't that guy. Anybody have a thought? I, I will I will save my I will save my rebuttal for whenever we uh, discuss your tight end uh, that's coming up. All right, absolutely fair. Um, all righty. So with that I think we kind of covered overall the our feelings of tight ends. Does anybody have anything else they want to add in about the tight end class before we move on to the um, CFF on trial for tight ends? Can I throw out a name that I really like? Yeah. That he's our consensus twenty three. Joel Wilson at Central Michigan. Hmm. I think he's the guy that I want in the mid rounds. Um, I really like him. He's my 10 and 15. And I don't know if anybody else has him ranked. 
I was, saying, I, I, was, I was just thinking, I'm like, I don't think I have him ranked, which I, so I, I, sounds like I need to, sounds like I need to get myself familiar with him. Here's the yeah. deal. Um, he is not ranked in my top, what, what did we do, top 36? Yes. Is that right? He's not ranked in my top 36 only due to my level of laziness because. You, ha- you we, actually have him at 16. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Because uh, I thought for a second that there you uh, he, he was a guy that I left out because he wasn't um, in like the player pool on the C2C um, when we transitioned over. <laughs> and I was yes. like, you know what? It's just a lot of work to add a guy. I might, he was towards the end, I thought. So I was like, maybe I'm not going to do it. But good. If he's ranked, then awesome. Yeah. It sounds he's like, sounds he's like the guy I that I want in middle And he's, he's our type 23. I don't even know if he's going in our ADP currently. Oh, he definitely he's is out- not. No, I took him around like 26 of a best ball. And like, I'm willing to go higher than that too. I think that he's a really great opportunity to Central Michigan with, uh, I think Khalil Pippleton and Corey Sullivan are both moving on. Yeah. There's a target vacuum there. Yeah, we were talking about Ryan Jones earlier and I'm looking at the ADV right now. He's not been drafted in any of our drafts. Yeah. So to me, he's For a good Jones, value right now. Jones a good one too, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's, get, let's go get on trial with this. Let's get rid of these QBs. Nate, you're going to be up first though. I'm not going first this time. <laughs> I did it once, I'm not going to do it again. We're going to go with Nate first. Nate, you are on trial for the crime of ranking Mr. Michael Trigg far lower than everybody else. ECR, he is our tight end five. Chris, you have him at tight end six. Brandon, you have him at tight end six. I have him at tight end six. Nate, you have him down at tight end 11. I have to imagine this is partially due to you not being as high on Lane Kiffin's offense and Jackson Dart in general. But overall, what are your thoughts on this? Defend your ranking, sir. Absolutely. Honestly, I don't know that it has as much to do with Jackson Dart or Lane Kiffin and really has more to do with, I just think there are options that we've seen what they can do, that we've seen um, that, it, that it's just a simply more, proving, more proven option at tight end than what Trigg is. If you project him, top six, you are, I mean, you're going strictly off of projections. This is a guy that, um, that last year had, I mean, he has seven catches in his career. Uh, he was a true freshman last year. Um, you know, so it's just, I'm just uncomfortable ranking him quite that high without having seen enough from him. I know that there was some unique circumstances at USC last year, but you have to be willing to put a guy that, he's top 10 that was outproduced on his own team last year by Malcolm Epps, Judd Wolf, and some guy named Eric Cominho. Never heard of him, but he's a tight end at USC and he outproduced your top six tight end that we're talking about right now. So um, I know he's super talented. He was a top five tight end coming out in, uh, you know, recruiting high school. He's, he's super talented. All the practice reports were, were beaming about him, but for some reason, the coaching staff still didn't play him as much as Eric Kaminho. Um, Ole Miss still has Casey Kelly. Um, they have Hudson Wolf, who was ranked similar to Trigg whenever he came out. Uh, he was, and they were in the same class together. Um, so there are options there at Ole Miss. And I just wonder are we potentially overhyping him, overrating him because of all of everything that surrounded that whole Jackson Dart, Caleb Williams saga that we went through, you know, a month or two ago where, you know, he was part of the package deal. So he just got mentioned way more than, than maybe we normally would have if he would have just transferred on his own somewhere. That, that's just my concern is that we're just, 
I just feel like we're projecting on a guy that hasn't proven anything. And there's a lot of guys that, yes, don't have quite the ceiling he does, but have done a lot more than Michael Trigg has. He's a guy that, yeah, maybe he could end up being your top five. He's also a guy that could be unrosterable after two weeks. So I agree with you, Nate, that if he didn't transfer along with Dart, we're probably not talking about him as much. In fact, I probably would be looking at like a guy like Casey Kelly, who's already there at Ole Miss. But that relationship does mean something to me. To, like, um, there was an old um, saying, I forget who used to say, but it's like, find out who the quarterback's roommate is. And if it's a receiver of some kind, go ahead and start targeting them. Because a relationship built between two players, especially a quarterback and a receiving option, does mean something in the long term. And I think him coming as a package deal, a very clear package deal from the beginning. Like They were not shy about this. They said, wherever Dart's going or wherever we both like we are going to go together somewhere. Like they're very vocal about it on social media. And so to me, if Dart is performing well, likely you're going to see Triggs are performing well as well due to that uh, relationship and chemistry they probably built up as true freshmen together at USC behind each other. And then I'm just going to add in here that we've seen several tight ends produce for Lane Kiffin's offense over the past couple of years, including some whenever um, Weiss and Kiffin were together back at uh, Florida Atlantic. So like Harrison Bryant in 2018 had 45 catches for 662 yards and four touchdowns. That doesn't sound like a ton, but for tight ends, that would have been good enough for the tight end 13 last year. And then 2019, you had him go 65 catches for 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. That got him uh, 174.9 points. That would have been good enough for tight end two last year. Let's go a couple years in the future, or the very next year, when you have Lane Kiffin bring in Kenny Yaboa. And you have a shortened season, so he only played in seven games that year. He was injured in, in an, uh, one or two of them. He had 27 catches, 524 yards, six touchdowns. Again, doesn't sound super impressive, but again, remember, shortened season, only played in so many games. He only played in seven games. Extrapolate that out to 12 games if he plays fully healthy the entire season. 174.69 points, tight end two last year. So to me, there is a there's plenty of history here to let me know that um trig if again you're right maybe there is a little concern that maybe he's not the guy immediately and to and to that point i would say i get then if that's how you view him you rank him a little bit lower but i don't view him that way i see the combination of the relationship plus the history of the success of the tight end position under kiffin tells me i'm happy to take the shot on michael trig and then figure it out later if he doesn't work out I'm with you. I I share a lot of the same points that Jared does, so I don't want to, um, you know, relitigate that. But we've seen tight ends produce. I actually think Kevin wants to use a tight end. the The big difference between where we have him and where Nate you have him is our expectation of, um, the offense. I I, I think so. Like, do we expect Michael Trey to be the tight end one starting out? If yes. I think you go higher. If no, or you have questions about what his utilization is going to be, then you keep him at tight end 11. Like, I don't, I'm not really sure we have an issue with like the talent aspect. I mean, we, I think we all think he's a fairly talented player. We've all seen glowing practice reports. Like you mentioned, my expectation it's similar to Jared's is they bring in this guy with Jackson dart and say, Hey, we're going to, you're going to operate as one for us. You're big, very athletic. I think his comp is Gerald Everett. Like that's a pretty good comp um, in terms of athleticism. I think that he has the most potential 
of the next tier of players, which is why I have him here. And I was going back through my ranks to say, okay, well, who would I have over him? And I was had a really tough case selling anybody else over him for that upside portion. And when you're in that, when you're after the top five, in my opinion, it's really tough to, to make a case for anybody else having like extreme upside. And I think he's one of the guys that does. And so I'm, I'm just saying, Hey, like, I don't care about proven production at this point. Like I want a guy who can finish top three and win me, uh, you know, the above replacement debate. And I think the above replacement debate matters a lot at tight end. And I think Trey is someone who has that potential. I don't think a lot of other tight ends do. Brandon, you got any thoughts on this? Uh, not a whole lot. Just, uh, I kind of agree with the, with the room. Uh, these guys came in as a package deal. They're roommates, they're friends. It's just, it is what it is. Like it's a, it's going to be a combo type situation. I expect them both to start uh, regardless of tricking, you know, kind of hang on to the job or not. I, I expect dark to kind of do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to elaborate anymore. Just, I, I kind of, I think the relationship makes a big difference and that's why, plus the pairing of, you know, Ole Miss uh, tight ends have done well in the past. That's kind of, the pairing that I'm looking at and why I see him staying at six for me, at least for the time being until someone could step up, whether it's in summer camps or something like that and kind of proves me different. So that's it. All right, Nate, what are your thoughts? having heard the three arguments against your ranking. Yeah, absolutely. A quick rebuttal. I think all those points are, are super fair. Um, like I said, I like, I like his talent a lot. He's, he is the highest tight end I have of guys that haven't proven that they can perform at that level. You could probably make the argument um, for Ryan Jones at East Carolina, who I have two spots ahead of Trigg um, as a guy that really hasn't proven a ton, but the rest of those guys have done it at least for a year. Some guys like, like Ford and um, Laporta and, and guys like that have done it for a couple of years, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just right on the edge. The, the biggest difference is, I guess, in my rankings, I've kind of wanted to see it from my tight ends first, but I, 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 I honestly, when it comes down to it, I don't have a big problem with ranking him as high as you guys do, because I know his ceiling is there with his talent, with that system. The ceiling is there. I'm just not sure that I've seen enough to know that he can reach it. And I get that. I, I really do. But the one thing I'll add in here is in CFF, sometimes you do have to take risks on guys that haven't proven anything. And so like, uh, otherwise, if you if you go just on guys that have proven things, you're going to miss out on a ton of the guys that had ceilings from the very beginning that you just, again, be, because you threw them out early on because they hadn't proven anything yet, you miss out on a guy like Bailey Zapp last year or a guy like Jared Stearns, guys like that. So is there any fear there for you, Nate, of missing out on, again, as the numbers kind of showed here for me, like a potential top two tight end here uh, because you're waiting on him a little bit too long? Yeah, I mean, that's that. I mean, that's that's part of the deal. Yeah, I mean, there, there's potential that he ends up being high. Like I said, there's potential he's a top five guy. There's also potential um he's the roster staff right? decides the staff decides they like one of the other two guys better and 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 you're you're dropping him after week three i mean but yeah that's part of it yeah i i, I totally agree you got to take shots on guys i mean i have caleb williams who really hasn't proven much yet i've got him ahead of the heisman trophy winner i've got him ahead of stroud who you guys all have as your number one quarterback so i'm all about willing to take shots uh just here at tight end i i guess i probably played a little bit safer in my rankings mm-hmm which I find I still have a guy board. I mean, let's be honest. I still have a tight end that has not caught eight balls in his career as the number eleven tight end in the entire country. This is true. It's not like I'm. 
not I'm not totally uh, poo pooing the guy. Yep, that's absolutely true. And uh, going back to Chris's point, where he was talking about how having that advantage at tight end is a big is a major difference in CFF leagues. I do wonder, like again, you're talking about how you're a little bit more hesitant when it comes to tight ends, but maybe if in combination with Chris's data on the position, maybe tight end is the one that we got to be a bit more uh, willing to uh, play some riskier guys. All righty. Let's go ahead and move on. We talked about Michael Trigg enough. Who do we got up next? Chris, you are on you are on the chopping block here for Mr. Cameron Latou. He is our ECR tight end 10. Nate, you have him at tight end 10. Brandon, you have him as tight end 7. I have him up at tight end 5, which I'll be real, probably would warrant its own uh, on-trial segment. But Chris, you have him all the way down at tight end 16. So what are your thoughts on Mr. Latou? And why do you have them ranked so much lower than everyone else? I don't understand what the hype around him is, to be totally honest. I, he wasn't that impressive last season. He caught fire in the, in the playoffs where he had one big game and scored, I think, in each game. But ran 317 routes last year, was targeted 37 times. The 11.7 target percentage ranked the last on the team. Second last on the team behind running back Trey Sanders. So he's running empty routes for the most part. His A dot, 8.5. You need a higher A dot to be a successful tight end. Of the 131 tight ends that I found um, that had more than 20 targets, so like big enough sample, he ranked 46th, which isn't terrible, but all but one of the top 12 finishers at tight end were above 9.0 average depth of target. The only other guy was Trey McBride, and he had a million targets. I don't think that's in Cameron Latch's range of outcomes. So he would he would be an anomaly if his role doesn't change. What else matters here? Yards after the catch per reception. So if he was getting shorter targets and he was converting more of them into yards after the catch, it would be a little bit different because then his yards per catch would be higher, and you could you could make a case that he's just really athletic and could do that. I don't think he's some super athletic guy. He ranked 92nd yards after the catch per reception, and then he then ranked 57th in yards per route run. Every single tight end that finished in the top 24 was in the top 50 of yards per route run. And the top 12 had was in the top 37. He needs to totally change the role that he has in this offense to be a, in my opinion, a tight end one. And he scored four touchdowns. He overperformed touchdown wise by force. We're talking about Malik Cunningham overperforming, Sam Hartman overperforming as a tight end. He scored four more touchdowns than he shouldn't have. Take those four touchdowns away. And I'm not really sure that's Jermaine to who Cameron Latu is. I don't think he's scoring an 80-yard touchdown. I don't think he's having like 70-yard catches or like 60-yard catches that we saw in uh, the national championship. Like I don't still don't think that's who Cameron Latu is. He wasn't utilized that way. Jaleel Billingsley was used that way. Yeah, they're weak at tight end. They definitely are. Robbie Oots is probably the tight end too. I expect they bring in a transfer at some point. They have a, a redshirt senior who I don't think has played, has caught more than like one pass in his career. They probably bring in somebody he just isn't the type of player that you want finishing. Um, the, he doesn't represent the profile that you need for a tight end one to finish, in my opinion. He has to be heavily, heavily targeted. They don't target the tight ends that often. They really don't leverage them that often. He needs to totally change his role. Williams and John Mechie. But we also have a, the, all these freshman receivers last year that were super talented, JoJo Earl, Corey Brooks. I don't know if Jai Hall is going to have that role. Um, and then they brought in Jermaine Burton. 
I don't think the target competition is going to be all that different this year than what we saw last year. So I don't know where Cameron Latu gets this huge bump from because he's not using a role that is super fantasy productive. So I just have, I just have a lot of questions about what he's going to do. Nate or Brandon, either one of you guys want to start? Nate, you can go ahead, buddy, if you want to. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll hop in real quick here. Um, I mean, I was the second lowest on, on Latu out of, out of our group. So I, I wouldn't say that I, I love the guy, but um, I, I will make, I will make a couple arguments here. And I mean, he, a lot of people really like Billingsley, but he was good enough, you know, at least to take um, part of that role from Billingsley. Billingsley moves on now. So like Chris said, there's not a whole lot of competition right now. If they bring in a transfer, obviously we're going to adjust our rankings accordingly, but as it stands now, he's, he's clearly the tight end one for, for this roster. Uh, he's, I mean, he's a converted linebacker. I mean, so he's still relatively new to the position. He's raw. Uh, he's, he showed out pretty well when given the chance. I mean, 26 catches, 410 yards, eight TDs. I mean, that's, that's definitely nothing to, um, you know, to scoff at. I mean, that's solid. Um, for a guy that's still learning the position and he, he played his best in the biggest moment in the national championship where, you know, he had five catches, 102 yards and a touchdown. Um, that championship was played without Mechie and Jamison Williams, which is what Alabama is going to be next year. Sure. We're, we're all projecting, you know, Burton and some of those other guys, the young freshmen we talked about to step up, but let's say that they don't, quite come through to the degree that we think that they they could he then becomes one of the more trust um receiving options that Bryce Young has I mean let's face it he's he's even though he wasn't heavily targeted last year he's still um you know he's still outperformed all those freshmen we've talked about and he obviously is is not a stranger to the offense like Jermaine Burton is I'll throw and throw my notes in here and everything and I agree with you uh, Chris, that like just because they're losing their top two receivers, it's not like oh, obviously then Latu becomes like the next guy up because he was the third leading receiver. But also, it did. You you mentioned the fact that he was like last on the team in terms of the like uh, target percentage, but he still finishes the number three receiver on this team, like the receiving option on this team. So that tells me that there is some level of competence there for the for the position. So I'll just go ahead and throw that out. Um, there and the other part I want to address here is you talked about the touchdown regression. I, for the most part, I'm with you. I don't expect if he scores 400 yards or he gets 400 yards through the air, he'll probably get down to like six touchdowns rather than eight. But again, I've talked to a couple of people around the Bama program, and they have mentioned to me how Bryce Young looks for Latu when he gets like especially if they're um, right there near the goal line and everything. Latu is a go-to guy for him down there. And so if you are in an offense like Bama's, where you have probably some of the best scoring opportunities in the country, like because like in terms of like how many touchdowns you're probably going to be able to um, get per game, I don't expect Latu to, be ha- to have as big of a touchdown regression as maybe we would expect. Um, kind of like how you guys were arguing with uh, Cunningham earlier, where it seems like... He's just in a position to benefit from the way the games are going. And that, again, Bama is going to score a lot of touchdowns, so he's probably going to score more than you would expect a normal tight end to do. Brandon, you got any thoughts on this, sir? Uh, Yeah, just to chime in, uh, 
what I so I'll tell a quick story. I actually had uh, Latu in Dynasty. Uh, he had some really good games starting off. So first game against Miami, nineteen point three points. Uh, and then you know there was a time where you know to Chris's point, the guy maybe had three fantasy points for like four weeks and stuff like that. Not the greatest, right? Uh, but there's these games where he just goes off. Southern Miss twenty point seven points. When Georgia was giving them a fit, he's the safety net for Bryce Young, and that's where Jared's points taken. The man went off for 20.7 points. Yeah, he, he had five reception was probably – or no, what is it? Yeah, five receptions was the most he probably had all entire season. But when it matters the most and Bryce Young needs to get out of a pickle, he's going to look for Latu, and I think he is uh, a threat. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I still think wide receiver is king when it comes to Alabama. They're going to feast, especially Burton. But I do see Latu, you know, at least having these three or four games where he's going to cluster in the points that you're maybe missing out. And that's the frustration about Latu. And that's why I have him at seven and not in my top five or anything like that, to the point to where even I dropped him. And now all I have is Marshawn Ford in a dynasty league. So now I have to make up at tight end, right? So I learned my lesson, but I should have stayed patient because Latu will be the safety net and he will collect points on some of these weeks, especially against these G5s or these, you know, sometimes even, you know, Division II schools that they sometimes will play. He's just going to massacre them and go off for the receptions that you're going to have. So you do have to take that in mind. Uh, and then when I was looking it up as well, he wasn't too far behind Marshawn Ford. I think they were very close as far as in the top 20 as far as tight end. So we're looking at people that are, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say like they're, they probably are a safer net, and that's why I like Ford personally, and that's why I like Lot too. Uh, but that's why I have Trick hired because I see the potential of uh, of you know a more successful fantasy points per game type situation versus clustering them in to make up for the couple weeks that you missed out on. So that's the common point I'll take where Lot two is safe if that makes it. He's the safety net is what I'm getting at. So. Yeah, we keep talking about how, like, in the signing class, like, after those top three, you really are just kind of throwing darts on guys that you feel comfortable with. And, like, my argument is, to me, I'll take a guy who is in probably going to be one of the best offenses in the country next year, has a has clearly made his way as one of the top options for that offense, again, after finishing third and receiving yards last year, probably finishes third again this year. But I expect him with another year under his belt at the position, another year with Bryce Young, he's probably going to outperform what he did last year. And he'll absolutely be somebody that you'll have comfortably as your starting tight end in your roster, at least compared to a lot of the guys behind him. Like, I would feel much more comfortable taking Latu late in a draft because he goes pretty late um if i remember correctly Nate, in some of the best balls we were doing like he was going he was in that almost third tier of tight ends um after the after the guys like Eurosec and them go off a couple rounds earlier am i crazy on that or am i remembering correctly uh nate you are muted sir no i think you're right that's that's about where he's going okay so chris you've heard you've heard the arguments against mr latu or against your ranking of latu here um Pro law two arguments. What are your overall thoughts? Has your mind changed a little bit? Maybe bump them up a little bit. You're gonna stick to your guns at 16. What are you thinking? Um, I may bump him up a little bit. I've just been going through my rankings, being like, no, I'd still take him. No, I'd still take him. So I could be able to get him like up one or two spots higher. But even if he gets 300 more yards and he gets keeps the same number touchdowns which would be with an expectation he's not a top tight end like he's still not he's still not there even if you give him those fantasy points so like 
I didn't expect him to make that big of a jump. I think he's a low ceiling play. And I, I, I talked about the same the way I talked about Michael Trigg, right? Like he is safe. And that's what Brandon was saying. Like he's a safe option that you can have as a tight end too. That's not the guy that I'm chasing. And so I have him ranked accordingly. I will not put him in the top 12, but I could bump him up probably one or two spots. I probably have Gary Williams too high. I could probably bump him above Gary Williams. That's a great point. He's, he's the antithesis of Michael Trigg. Yeah. I mean, he is solid, solid floor. Um, but he, I, I would be surprised if Latou ends up being a top five tight end. I'm just not sure that that ceiling exists for him. No, I think those are all very, very fair arguments. In fact, listening to this again, I haven't ranked this tight end five. I'm probably going to bump him down a spot or two. Um, listening to this because again, I'm probably the highest out of this group. But you know, you That's guys, a made, win. Hey, you, you've made some that, solid points here. There we go. Um, and the good news for uh, you, Chris, is that you have him a tight end sixteen. Very likely, he's still the 16th tight end taken off the board. So even if you're that low on him, it's not like you're going to be missing out on him in some of these drafts. You you have him ranked so low to where it's like you're never going to get him. No. All right. Absolutely. Let's move on. Who do we got up next? We got Brandon on deck here. You have Mr. Joshua Simon. Uh, You ranked too low compared to everybody else. He is the ECR tight end eight. Nate, you have him as tight end eight. Chris, you have him as tight end eight. I have him as tight end seven. Brandon, you have him as tight end 13. I have a feeling you're about to say that you've probably bumped him up a spot or two since then uh, because it's a theme right now. But you're still probably the lowest out of the bunch on us. So let's go ahead and talk about Joshua Simon. And Felix, if you're listening, finally talk about Joshua Simon. Uh, He was asking about him in the chat. So Brandon, what is your defense, sir? So yes, he is now tight end 10 for me. So he's in the top 10. So I'm not too far away from you guys, especially tight end eights or tight end seven or anything like that. Uh, and only because I've had a chance, of course, we have our resident topper. So I, you know, spent some time talking to, I call her HLP, but Hannah, and uh, we, we talked about Joshua Simon and she's like, hey, let me put out the chart and see what he measures up to. So after seeing the chart that she put out and kind of given her reasoning and her behind the scenes there at Western Kentucky, it made me want to move him up a little bit. I did look at the one game that he did get to play before the, and the main thing was the injury, right? It's like, the dude with 22.3 fantasy points ends like that. So it makes him a very higher tier tight end than what he, you know, might've been the full entire season. Right. But uh, the injury is something to do with it. Why I was like, okay, there's some of these other guys that haven't been injured. They've been playing the entire year. They're getting the reps, but uh, from what I'm hearing, Joshua Simon's good to go. And with the, uh, you know, with, you know, I'm the win- I'm the Mitchell Tinsley guy. So it's like, you know, he, he goes to Penn State. There's no more Stearns. Uh, we still have Hall that's coming in from, uh, I believe, Western Michigan. He's now there at Western Kentucky. And I like the prospect of uh, Division II quarterback coming in. I like his chances if he can beat out uh, the, the prospect of Doge, which, you know, I, I get it. He's from a Power 5 school, so he's got that going for him. And it's hard to, you know, beat that, you know, where they bring you in. You know, like, hey, you're you're our Division One guy, so go ahead and play. Uh so now I've come up a little bit more on him, but it was mainly the injury and uh, just having a few other guys like um, like we talked about uh, a Ryan Jones, who I'm kind of higher on and seeing like progressing as more of a, a top tier type situation or a guy like Latu, who was like him and Ford, I have them both ranked higher. I like I like the safety net. I, I I'm kind of like Nate. I like to play the tad safer at the tight end position. I like a solid floor, whereas Simon is high potential when now that he's healthy. 
But now I have him in the top 10. I could easily see him, you know, you know, completely proving me wrong and he could wind up being, I don't see top, and he might be able to beat out maybe like a Coons and maybe wind up at a time at three. I still think Bowers and Mayer kind of destroy this year, but um, you know, a guy that I'm really high on is Jaheen Bell. I like, I like South Carolina. Uh, I, I'm not so much as a, uh, you know, a Rattler guy, but I love the weapons that they put around him to at least give him a solid chance. So they got a great tight end uh, with Bell and they got Stockner there as, you know, possibly blocker, the potential type catch situation. So there's some more guys that you'll see the theme. Like there's just guys that I see potential and hire more that I'm kind of going it, but I have, you know, come to terms with Joshua Simon, a healthy Joshua Simon is a, uh, a potential for a breakout for sure. Especially when we saw with the one game that he played in the 2021 season. So he's currently tight in 10, uh for now i think i'm going to hold i'll listen and you know i might i might go up a spot or two but i'm I'm definitely open to hearing what you guys think about simon after the injury and uh moving forward here into the 2022 season so have at it all right i'll be quick because we are running a little long so i i'll try to be as quick as i can about this so joshua simon um it is a dangerous game to play basing your projection off only one game and then them getting injured but to me, the fact that we saw just in game one, them automatically using Joshua Simon in a, in a system that you didn't see a tight end then step up immediately after Joshua Simon went down. They went to their wide receivers. It's not like they were just, that system was just made for tight ends. It's just to me, Simon was just that talented enough to where he's one of those guys that they were going to rely on. And I think when he comes back fully healthy, them running that same system, they're going to keep going to him because... Regardless of what their system may call for and everything, Simon's just a guy that's going to find space and they're going to be using him. And so I don't think it's as crazy to think that he is going to produce well for a Western Kentucky offense in a team that, again, they're going to be replacing that Kitley offense. They're going to be passing a ton this year. And so I could see him getting plenty of opportunity there. So that's just my two cents on it. Nate, Chris, one of you guys want to mention? Good. Yeah, I'll... I'll... I'll say it real quick. Um, I'm not super worried about replacing the Kitley offense because Ben Arbuck or our Ben Arbuckle. Yeah, I think that's yeah, Arbuckle. Uh, he came over from Houston Baptist with Kitley, and so I think there's going to be continuity in the scheme there. And it, it's one that they've lost a lot of production. I think Corley is the guy that a lot of people expect to be the wide receiver one. They brought in Akron transfer Michael Matheson, who I think is actually a pretty interesting option as well. But there's a void there for targets with Stearns leaving, Mitchell Tinsley leaving. I'm fairly excited about what the prospect of Simon is. And I think I could, I think I can make a case for him being higher than my tight end eight, to be honest, after doing some of this research, because Tyson Helton, even before he brought in Kitley, he was, he was a guy who was passing at a above average rate. He had a 57% uh, neutral game script pass rate, which is top 20 in the country. And then last season it was like 73%, which was one of the highest ever, but I expect to be a lot closer to like 65 than I do like 50. And so I, the volume is going to be there. Regardless of who the quarterback is, if it's Allen, if it's Dogie, I think both can produce in this offense because the offense isn't all that complicated for a quarterback like Dogie either. They're not asking him to do a whole lot. So I think Simon's a huge beneficiary here. And yes, the injury is a concern, but uh, the upside of Simon is almost unparalleled. All right, Nate, your thoughts real quick. Yeah, I'll just add in. um, So Simon was the guy that I actually moved down my ranks a little bit in the preseason last year because I was worried because Killy had shown no, really no use of the tight end at his time at Houston Baptist. So I was like, man, is he even going to use this guy? 
So the fact that he went off in week one before he got hurt, I think really just goes to show how talented Joshua Simon really is. I, I still don't know if Kitley uses the tight end all that much. I mean, he continued to pass for a couple of touchdowns with the backup after Simon was out, but um, I think he's really talented. I think he's a guy that, uh, that just has a chance to kind of – whoever the OC is there, he's going to produce. Let, let me ask you this, Brandon. One guy that you had ranked ahead of Simons previously um, was Jalil Billingsley. When you moved Simon up, did he move ahead of Billingsley? He did, yeah. Okay. That, that was going to be one of my big arguments is that I, I don't see how you could have Billingsley – ahead of Simon. I just think that the upside for Simon and the consistency that he could produce would be too much given, um, you know, like you mentioned, Stearns, Tinsley, guys like that have left. But uh, uh, even if 75% of this passing offense uh, from like, if they produce a 75% rate of what they did last year, that still is a lot of pass. That's still like 38 passes a game uh, that they're throwing the ball. So it's, it's still a lot of opportunity there. I like him. All right, Brandon, real quick, your thoughts on those rebuttals for Mr. Simon? Uh, I'm, I might be a tad still too low, even at 10. Uh, it's going to be, I'll be honest, like I, I don't want to push him past Jones, to be honest. Uh, maybe Ford, I'd have to contemplate it, but Ford is one of those, like I said, it's a safe thing type situation. I might, uh, I might, I don't know, maybe come down on Bell. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. So, but I think, uh, I think Simon could probably crack my top eight for sure. So, Alrighty. Let's move on to our final tight end here. We'll, we'll make this quick, not just because I'm the one on, on trial, but uh, we are running a little long on time. Last one we got here, Mr. Christian Trahan. We're going a little the opposite direction here. Instead of being too low, I'm on trial for having this man too high. Uh, he is our ECR tight end 16. Nate, you have him as tight end 20. Chris, you have him as tight end 19. Brandon, you have, you have him at tight end 15. I have him at tight end 11. I'll admit a lot of this is mostly because like we talked about some dart throws. We all have our favorites. Trahan is going to be one of my guys that I'm going to be throwing my dart at. And a lot of it has to do with some of the vacated production from the guys ahead of him last year for Houston, which is something different than what Marshawn Ford had last year. Uh, Marshawn Ford doesn't have a ton of guys moving on, but Trahan does because Singleton is now transferred to Georgia Tech. Uh, Herslow, who finished ahead of him, is now graduated, if I am correct on that. And so that leaves a little bit of opportunity for Trahan to then move up and get some additional targets from last year. I like Houston coming into this year. I think they'll be the best G5 team in the country. Uh, they play in the AAC, which the defense, once again, is a little suspect. And so I expect plenty of scoring opportunities for a good team like Houston there. And so that's basically my argument for the most part on Trahan. Again, I can understand other people just not being as enamored with him. But again, he's one of my favorite dart throws if I'm waiting really, really far in a best ball draft or um, or in a deeper league. Um, I, I think I grabbed him like round 15 plus in one of our best ball drafts a couple a week or two ago. So that's my thoughts. Uh, Brandon, it's been a while since you've gone first on a rebuttal. So let's go with you first. Uh, for me, it's the uh, the hype of Clayton Toon kind of being that bomber type guy that can kind of get it downfield i'm big on nathaniel dale this year i mean it's no surprise and we'll see in the wide receiver rankings as well i'm a huge guy of alton mccaskill and i love matthew golden it's just one of those things where i see so much opportunity at wide receiver first now 
I will say this, and this is why I have him at 15, is that Trey Han only went one week without a reception, which means that he is being at least targeted or looked at when it comes to tune. So I'm not sure if he is the same situation. Like this isn't a Latu situation where Latu's just there, like, oh crap, it's time to get it out to somebody. I need to get it, you know, I need to get a reception. I need to get the ball downfield, like like an Alabama situation. He is being looked at, but he's to me, it's like a uh he's the third, you know what I'm saying? Like he's third in line, basically. And I know we're we're just literally just peeling hairs and stuff like that and split ends and things like that. But to me, I just see more production out of the wide receivers and tune trying to get it downfield closer. And then with McCaskill kind of coming on strong here in his, in his next season here as a sophomore and kind of proving why he should be a top 10 running back possibly in, in the NCAA. So that's me, uh, but I'm not too far behind you. I'm at tight end 15. I I see the opportunity for sure. Like I said, he only went one week without a reception. So, and if he went 88 fantasy points in, in year one, I mean, that's, that's not bad. So, you know, one more year of, uh, of production, why not? I think he can move up. So. All right, Chris and Nate, you guys are both even farther behind Brandon in terms of where you have him ranked. Nate, you seemed like you had your prosecution ready to go. So I'm going to go with you next. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of itching to, to get after you on this one for a minute. So so if, if I can get you to move Marshawn Ford ahead of Trahan, which at the time of our rankings you did not have, then I, I will deem this a success. Here, here's, here's why. Okay, so this is, this is year four, uh, or let's see. So, yeah, this is his uh, – last year was his fourth season at Houston. They came in, Trahan and Marshawn Ford at the same time. Trahan had 37 catches, 398 yards, two TDs last year. If yes. you look over the last few years, that's exactly who he is. He, I mean, his, his production has been very consistent. Year two, year three, and year four of his career have all been basically the same. Here's the deal. Marshawn Ford, every single year, has had more catches, more yards, and way more touchdowns than what we've seen from Trahan. Hell, Gavin Bartholomew, who you also have behind Trahan, outproduced Trahan last year, and he was the second wide receiver on his own team. If you take a look at Dana Holgerson's history with tight ends, his last four years at West Virginia, let me tell you the total tight end production there. 35 catches, 450 yards, and three touchdowns total. That's all of his tight ends combined over a four-year stretch. Marshawn Ford does more than that on average every year in his career in college fantasy football. It just doesn't make sense to me that you could put a guy like Trahan, who's got a very safe floor, but man, his floor is nowhere near what we've seen from Marshawn Ford's floor. So I just think this is a, this is a clear, you're just too high on Trahan as compared to some of the other guys you've got behind him. Moxley, you go ahead real quick and I'll give you guys my thoughts on these rebuttals. Yeah, I, Nate said the big thing. I had to go back to 2011 to find, uh, I actually only went back to 2011 to find Dana Holgerson's tight end production. And I just kept going and like, it just wasn't happening. Just wasn't happening. This guy who's never deployed the tight end in his offense, ever. Trayvon Wesco, he had, he's an NFL player. Doug just didn't use him. 330 yards, I think was his max. Like this guy just doesn't use does tight end. And I think Matthew Golden's coming in. I think he's going to have a big role. I think Nathaniel Dell's going to, basically monopolize target share. I just don't see the path to upside for him, for a guy, for Holgerson, who just 
is very particular with the way he runs the offense. And he going back years, like a decade to West Virginia, it just hasn't happened. I don't think Trey Hans the guy to, to break that mold. So for those of you listening, a uh, little insider baseball and everything, whenever, sometimes when you are looking at guys as like a fantasy analyst, uh, you have a process and sometimes you get a little stuck on that process. And one of my big things when I look for tight ends is opportunity, vacated targets, and I look for opportunity for them to jump up. Sometimes you get a little stuck on that. And I will admit, I was blinded by the idea of vacated targets in this Houston offense in a what I expect to be a good team. And I'm going to call not... I'm not going to say that I'm... I'm not just going to say that I'm moving him down. I think I'm going to call myself out here and say this was a mistake uh having trey hand this high and that i am going to be moving him down because you guys are right there are things there are things there i just completely missed and i really should have done better when it came to ranking trey hand this high i got a little too stuck on the vacated targets and i appreciate you guys pointing out my mistake and that is what these summits are for that is the fun of this so with that, we come to the end of this. Again, we've been going about two hours. Appreciate Nate, Chris, Brandon, all of you guys spending your after Sunday afternoon with me here today. This has been fantastic. I think everybody's going to love. If they haven't checked it out today, they'll hear it on their recordings in the next coming days uh, through our podcast. I'm going to re-upload this to the Chasing the Natty YouTube channel like we're currently streaming on Campus Skin. This will be re-uploaded to the Chasing the Natty YouTube. So please go over there and subscribe. Uh, so that you can rewatch this if you need to come back to it. This, will, like I said, this will also be uploaded on the podcast feed. You guys have been incredible today. Some of the best conversations I think I've ever had on Chasing the Natty were on here today, and I think we had an absolute blast. Can't wait to do it again with you guys. And for those of you listening out there who are still in the chat and everything, again, share this video out with everybody. Get people talking about CFF. This is a great place for people to come and learn about some of these top players and some of the players that maybe there's a little bit of discrepancy. So, like I said, Nate, Brandon, Chris, I really appreciate you guys tuning in today, or coming in today. All of you guys out there who are listening, thank you guys, and have a wonderful and blessed day.